Okay, so Dead Among the Depths session two. We've just had our quick recap before we started the stream. We're going to pick up on the night after the event of the previous session. So it's now the 2nd of January 2012. Now, we've sort of discussed a little bit in brief what you guys have got like going on with regards to a a communal haven, a place where you all can sort of meet, where you can all rest if you need to. What does what does your communal haven look like? And sort of whereabouts is it in Venice? And you should be able to see that on the map there's the, the main sort of areas of Venice are written on there. So obviously if you want to know more about like specific areas uh, the main areas of Venice being and again apologies for the pronunciations Canareggio, Castello Dorsodoro obviously the Grand Canal is not really an area but it is the main thoroughfare for for Venice San Marco, San Polo and Santa Croce Well, it depends how far off the beaten path do you want to be. I mean, I know Venice is a major tourist destination, but yeah, and there's going to be parts of it that aren't really on the map. Yeah, it tends to be the the areas that are adjoining the the Grand Canal, which you can sort of see here, like snaking its way through Venice. Yeah, the areas sort of immediately adjoining that tend to be the more sort of touristy places just because they're, like, they're more easily accessible to be honest probably somewhere like Castello then or um, Arsenal okay. okay so Arsenali is was the the largest production center in Venice during like pre-industrial times uh, it was like a big sort of industrial area. Um, fleets were built here. It was like a big symbol of like the power of the the Venetian Republic. Uh, since since the eighties, it's become like an exhibition site. You know where they show a lot of the old like cannons and armaments and stuff like that. Uh, it it was getting quite run down and a bit sort of shonky though. And then in nineteen ninety. They basically started a bigger program of enhancement to, to sort of like bring the area like back up to spec, basically. I'm just looking as well at the north of Arsenale. The um, I imagine that big bay area. Yeah. Is for um, cruise ships. Pretty much. Or private yachts. Yeah. So what's um. Is it Castello? Yep. What's that like? Okay. Let me just find my notes. Okay, so Castello used to be the the naval sort of powerhouse of Venice and Arsenal is a pot was once a part of it. It used to be a naval dockyard, but now they've sort of drained the area to like reveal more land fairly recently 
and now it's like mostly sort of gardens and sort of like slightly larger and more like well-off sort of living areas basically there's still like a fair amount of sort of a the boating industry let's call it that sort of goes on around there though so still this uh a lot of the buildings here they have like a old memorabilia of like uh, the navy and the the old ships that used to ply the waterways around here it's so like you know, anchors and old like figureheads and stuff like that the sci-fi islands they're more affluent i imagine yeah Uh, San Michel, is that the graveyard? Yes, it is, yeah. Yeah. So, so I think the choices then are going to be Castello or Arsenale. Otherwise, you're going to be right in the tourist hotspot. Easy for hunting, but also easier to spot. Yeah, and I'll point out that most of the events of the, the previous session took place on the in the Real between San Polo and Rialto. There's like a, a bridge that goes across the the canal between the two of them that's sort of like around about here-ish. Yeah. And that was the bridge where the the spirit lurked and where the the death of Father Altamora took place. Okay, so where do you two envision the haven being what what sort of structure are we interested in because uh, I, I think if we want you know uh i think barge. they're all pretty much the same unless like you say you have a yacht or a barge mm. and you could have a yacht and you could quite happily store it near arsenale which to be honest <clears throat> if you've got the the delaro for it it's not inconceivable in venice well, I I know a guy. <laughs> yeah, I I'm just wondering if the uh, highly populated the Castello looks like really jammed in there. You might be able to hide. Well, yeah, I think Castello's mostly stilt houses. Oh, is it? Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, having a look actually yeah it all looks the same from the overhead view really. yeah 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 Castello is the is the largest of the the six main districts in Venice like I say grew around the naval dockyard which is sort of where sort of Arsenal is uh, largest naval complex in Europe there's like a ridiculous amount of like churches in the area as i say fairly recently they've sort of drained a lot of land from there and there's a lot of gardens and i suppose it's probably got the most sort of open space you're likely to find in venice because they they have sort of dedicated this amount of space to like gardens so it does attract a fair amount of tourists i've put a various links for Castello housing in the chat and what's the other option uh, Arsenal I think um, uh, Castello might be 
Nice, because it's not like the spot for tourism, but it has a bunch of nice amenities and it does have like gardens, which is that's not really something you have a lot <laughs> in the in the city. That's true. So, so it would be that would be unique as far as that goes. Um, open space. Yeah, my only concern with the uh, the boat thing was, you know, if you did get well, if you needed to get out during the day for whatever reason, you you'd have no chance, would you? I assume to, you know keep in the shadows or go between buildings or if you can get out of sunlight sort of thing I thought it would be a bit more dangerous yeah, as opposed to that would be a trapped sort of if you, if you know what I mean we've also to a... the um, to the right of so Castello and Arsenal we've got uh, Lavignol here which is two islands effectively joined together there's like very little in terms of population on these two islands those that are there tend to work in agriculture because of more open land here however the eastern part of the island which is just off the map is a military zone the like venetian like military yeah, yeah. used to like drill practice and stuff like that well i've just looked at arsenale on a google map uh, it's, it's very tightly packed yep very tightly packed so if you want more open space, you're probably looking at Castello. Yeah, I like, suppose that's that's the sort of uh, options here. Do we want like open um, areas, uh, space to be outside of structures, or do we want like densely packed uh, industrial zone, or like you know, formerly <laughs> heavily in industrialized zone? I'm just looking at yachts. Maybe more foot traffic. Just the land. Just yeah, the absolutely. Size of the place and a bit absolutely. more central, isn't it? Yeah. Whereas the other places, a little bit off to one side out of yep. the way a little bit. Yeah, which comes with security, of course, because it's if if there's not yeah. people there, and yeah, if one... if you're hanging out in a, you know, warehouse. <laughs> that's people aren't going to come looking for you. Yeah, so you've got advantages and disadvantages in both, haven't you, basically? Yeah. The average price for a 40... Oh, sorry, a 100-foot yacht is £20 million. Yeah, they ain't cheap. And then 70-foot is £4 million. 64-foot is £1.3 million. I think what Dave's trying to say is like your guy that you know, uh, uh, Aurelio, probably best have like some like hefty pockets on him. Yeah. Fifty foot yacht is three quarters of a million. Yeah, I thought my resources were quite high, but I don't. I'm not convinced they stretch to that. <laughs> and then forty foot yacht is nearly half a mil. We got to make some florins, guys. We need, <laughs> we need to get a yacht. Um, I think I would. Possibly vote for Castello. Just because it gives more, more people. Um, yeah, I quite like the idea of a townhouse, sort of, you know, three or four floors, maybe a basement. Well, that, if you look at the picture I put in the chat, it is a, a townhouse, yeah. 
Can they have basements? Well, they do, but they flood easily. Yeah. Yeah, very easily. Yeah. Like, it's Almost not even a question of trying to hold the water back. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, one of them tall. Three or four floor places, maybe. Okay, so I've just put a note on the map in sort of Costello. If you guys uh, click on the icon on the, the left hand side that looks like a little bookmark, it's like right in the bottom. If you hover over mm -hmm. it and say journal notes, you should see the you should see like a magnifying glass pop up and if you click on that you can you should be able to see the notes, I think. Apart from um, the Resinia Sparta. Uh yeah, the uh the inspector is the only one that I can see currently. Okay, right, let me just uh configure the permissions for that. There yeah. we go. There we go. Right, cool. Yeah, it's just uh, the permissions. Yep. Oh yeah, I just clicked on it and gave me a yeah, I'll give you a very basic note that just says like communal haven for BCs at the minute. That's it, yeah. But obviously I'll fill in the, the details of that. And now you guys are, I've made you basically owners of that note. So if any of you guys, an idea I stole shamelessly off Johannes, uh, if any of you guys want to add anything to that, you should be able to go in and edit it. Okay. So I've sort of set it about there. Just because that's still in the Castello, but it's a little bit nearer to the Rialto, which is where events of the the previous session occurred okay. i think that's probably ideal john to be honest where it is lovely okay so in your your townhouse let's call it for want of a a better term how do you guys rest for the evening i'm assuming for convenience you've all been resting at the or your your coteries haven where do you rest? Do you sleep in beds? Do you sleep in like the cellar in a coffin? How do you rest during the day? I'd probably sleep in a bed, yeah. um, surrounded or well, four poster bed surrounded by um, black light curtain. Oh yeah, they are like big thick drapes. Yeah, and have the same over the doorway, but have the illusion set so it looks like it's just a uh, thin cloth blowing in the wind like you usually see yep okay no problems so we've got our newest or newest we've been introduced to coterie mate Sonia who sleeps in this big four poster bed but looks heavy like black light curtains so on all four sides of the bed. How about uh, Aurelio and Franco? How do they sleep away the sunlight hours? Um, I like to think that Franco would um, have a coffin. He's quite traditional in the in that way. Um, maybe not a traditional looking coffin, but it, it'd definitely be, you know, classic uh, box with a lid type thing um, but he would he would be looking to use uh, like an attic space so there's just no windows 
just dark and secluded and out of the way basically absolutely fine not a problem rather rather than the basement sort of option because of yeah because of the location. water yeah, yeah yeah and obviously you will all know as uh, venetian natives that they have a a phenomenon that they simply call when translated high water and it's just times of the year when due to the the weather or the rainfall the the sort of the the average water level of venice rises quite high and most buildings at that point the basements get flooded it's just a, a fact of life it, it happens and in fact anytime you go around venice most of the buildings you'll see there's like a sort of like water discoloration for like a couple of feet at the bottom of every building from these times when the water level rises So I thought that just leaves Aurelio then. Yeah, and uh, I think this is probably one of the few times that uh, Aurelio does sleep in this structure because he has his own uh, elsewhere. And I think just by virtue of that, there's not like a permanent arrangement necessarily aside from uh, the one that he does use, which I think I was imagining this to be like a... Um, I guess it would have to be some kind of watertight uh, sort of closet slash like cabin, like cabinet structure thing. Um, well, I say that, but basically what I mean is like wardrobe uh, for like the electrics of the, the building, uh, which like he's, he's just going into the, you know, electric <laughs> closet. Yeah. Uh, and um, I don't know, like sleeps just upright. Yeah, so so basically, you yeah, guys have got like, like a a large sort of fuse <laughs> cupboard, for want of a better term. Yeah, in here, and you just sort of like seat yourself back in yeah. it, like, yeah, like nestle yourself in, close shut the doors. <laughs> yeah, yeah, makes sense. Yeah, because and obviously it would be watertight because <laughs> of the electrics. Yeah, yeah. and uh, yeah, he usually sleeps in his own. Uh, own place uh, outside, but yeah, when when he does sleep here, that's that's probably where he goes. <laughs> okay, that is absolutely grand. Thank you very much, guys. So we begin, as I've said, on the the second of January, twenty twelve. It's a Monday evening for anyone who is interested. Darkness has fallen across Venice. The the sounds of, since obviously you're quite near the, the Grand Canal, the the sounds of tourists, uh, boats full of tourists, you know, like gondoliers doing the old, old solo mio, which they only ever do for tourists. It's not a thing. They just do it because tourists like it and they get a better tip. But you can hear sort of that echoing from a few places and there's the ever-present sort of, gentle lapping of the waters which is pretty much the the permanent soundtrack to to nights in venice to the point where to your guys enhanced vampiric senses even though of you who don't have like or specs or anything like that if you listen you can seemingly always hear it below the raucous noise of the tourists which unfortunately in modern nights is also becoming 
an ever-present soundtrack to life in Venice, and which is it's convenient for you guys, you know, more people equals more opportunity for feeding, to put it bluntly, and it also brings a lot of money into Venice. It's also causing problems for the city, whether that be waste, um, vandalism, uh, the the fact that a lot of tourist industries are basically replacing sort of actual like steady jobs like a lot of people moving into the tourist industry and the city's becoming almost entirely reliant on the tourist trade so when they have horribly inclement weather which does happen from time to time and the tourist trade sort of slackens off the money just disappears out of Venice they don't really have a great deal to to fall back on which for a for a proud city like Venice that was once its own republic many, many hundreds of years ago, it's a a sad state of affairs for it to have fallen into the state it's now in. Very appropriate to this sort of darker world setting that we are in. So obviously in our version of Venice, this is all exaggerated a little more. The, the tourists are a little more rowdy they cause a few more problems there's more tension between the locals and the tourists and the the citizens of venice who embrace tourism and are trying to move into sort of like the modern age and those who yearn to see the city become something like it once was this this great power and this is also true of the the city's kindred those of you who are of the of the, the clan Hakata or clan Giovanni as it used to be known will know that up until recent nights this whole city was pretty much the stronghold of clan Giovanni the the necromancers of Italy you didn't enter Venice without the permission of clan Giovanni and even if you had that permission you knew from the moment you stepped into Venice if you were not of that clan, and to be honest, probably if you were, you were going to be watched 24-7. And if the rumours were to be believed about the powers of Clan Giovanni, as they were known back then, they were reputed to be necromancers and have these strange ability to call on spirits and reach beyond the Sodario, the, the, the barrier between the realms of the living and the dead. So even if you couldn't see any spies watching you who knew what sort of strange and foul spirits were lurking by invisibly ferrying information back to their Giovanni masters. But in recent nights there seems to have been something of a shake-up in clan Giovanni and they've reinvented themselves as the Hakata, welcoming in cousins and bloodlines and subclans of theirs where once there was a great deal of conflict between them there now appears to be something resembling an uneasy peace if you imagine uh, a family that's long had a, a great feud going on and then somehow they've they've not managed to get rid of all the slights and all the problems but they've managed to to paper over the cracks enough that they can at least get on with each other in the face of who knows perhaps far greater threats but this this sort of melding together of the various clans of death to create their carter 
wasn't without its problems because it resulted in many deaths amongst all of these subclans, some of which were sacrifices to enable the the clan to move forward. So Giovanni, Elder Giovanni who had hunted down their cousins and people they considered to like not be true Giovanni. Some of them were offered up as a, as a sort of peace offering, as a sacrifice to mollify these cousins, these distant vampiric relatives. But it has meant that the clan as a whole, although it's now united as much as it can be, there are far fewer of them. And with that reduction in numbers, they have lost the ability to as thoroughly place their domain as they once did. And this has led to, luckily, other kindred bodies, such as the Camarilla, have their own problems to deal with at the moment. But it has led to non-Giovanni kindred. I mean, we we have one here, our very owner Nosferatu, played by Darren Franco Lombardo. We also obviously have Hugo Barcelona. Unfortunately, we don't have Rob with us this evening, but a member of the the Gangrel clan and other kindred beside who are not of the Hikata have now come into Venice. Although the city is very much ruled by the Hikata still, but for the moment at least, they seem to be adopting a sort of hands-off policy where basically as long as kindred don't interfere with the tourist trade or do anything to bring undue heat to the kindred population of Venice, they seem to be largely content to deal with their own business and leave other kindred to go about theirs. And you guys know this for a fact that there are these non-Giovanni, non-Hikata I should say, kindred in the the city. Because within your sort of area of the Castello, there are at least two coteries of kindred who do not belong to the Hikata. You know that one of these coteries called themselves the Artisti del Destino. And they appear for all intents and purposes to be a, a Camarilla coterie. You've probably glimpsed them maybe at a, at a particularly architecturally renowned church, of which there are many in Venice, or perhaps one of the many artistic galleries that dot the landscape throughout Venice. You haven't really spent a lot of time with them or getting to know them, but like I say, you will have glimpsed them mainly at places of artistic interest or of a great sort of historical interest in Venice. You would know that there is a there is a beautiful woman who appears to be their leader. There is a, a smartly dressed gentleman who, as you put a bit of feelers out, you've managed to find out from some of your contacts, perhaps your guy. Johannes, that this smartly dressed person is a is a dealer of antiquities. They also appear to have, as seems to be de rigueur amongst the the various coteries of Venice, they appear to have an ex priest amongst their number, dog collar and all. He seems quite serious whenever he's been glimpsed, but like I say, you've not really got to know them and then finally there is a 
there is a gentleman who appears to be sort of clad in the manner of a of a modern doctor who appears to accompany them at all times, but he doesn't really seem to say much. And like I said, they seem to be fairly reserved and keep themselves to themselves, but they seem drawn to these these sort of artistic or historical areas of interest. However, there is also an extremely noisy, for want of a better term, coterie of, you think maybe English, maybe American, sort of kindred, <laughs> you're not entirely sure. There only seems to be like three of them, but they literally seem to be the the epitome of your sort of anarch, like, you know, good time coterie, you know, undead and loving it. We're here in Venice because it's a non-stop party town. And in fact, they've even called... Lads, lads, lads. Yeah, basically, yeah. <laughs> and they've even called themselves, their coterie, the tourists. And they appear, you're guessing based on their behaviour, they're a fairly young coterie of kindred. The The way they're behaving would tend to suggest that they're, they're members of the, the Anarch movement or they're independent. They're certainly not as like reserved and as sort of... I'm not saying they let break the masquerade here and there and like alert mortals to the existence of vampires because they don't, because they're not entirely stupid. But whereas there's a certain level of decorum and carefulness about the the artists of destiny, that seems to be wholly lacking from the tourists. They just seem to be here to enjoy themselves as the mortal tourists are doing and enjoy their own life. There appeared to be a a couple of gentlemen, one of whom like looks basically looks like a dirty hobo. The other, which is a, a thin, lanky guy who like dresses in an unremarkable manner, like tracksuit bottoms, probably like a big like Hawaiian t-shirt and like a like, Hawaiian shirt with a t-shirt underneath. And then there's a a young woman who seems pretty charming. Yeah, you know, you've probably spoke to her in passing. And she, you know, she wears like cut off like denim shorts, standard like tourist clothing. They they appear to have like done their bit to try and blend in with the actual mortal tourists of the city. But like I say, you've not really had a chance to get to know either of these coteries in any great respect so far, but you've actually seen them about. And as you all rise for the evening, I'm gonna ask you, can you all please make me a rouse check? And there's a button for that on your character sheet. And this is just to see whether your hunger grows when you wake for the evening. Oh. <laughs> okay. So, Franco and Aurelio, your hunger increases by one. So, does it automatically tick it? Yeah. Well, my, mine went up because I was watching the sheet. Yeah, because I, I, I swore it was on one. And <laughs> when I looked away, it was on two. I was like, wait, is is John that fast? <laughs> well, mine's on four, so I assume that's bad. Oh, oh. <laughs> oh yes, it's very bad. So Somebody's hungry. <laughs> as you wake up in the evening, as I described to the others, Aurelio, I assume you're on about two or three, is that correct? That correct, Aurelio? What's your hunger at the moment? Uh, two. Two. Okay. Dos. And are you on one or two, Sonia? One. Okay. So, Aurelio, you wake up and you're like, um, I'm starting to feel a, a little bit thirsty. Sonia, you're, you're absolutely fine. 
And as I described for you guys, you wake up to the sound of the water lapping and the distant din of the tourists. You also hear this when you wake up, Franco. However, when you wake up, like deep down in your soul and sort of thudding in your ears, you can hear like... As your, your enhanced vampiric senses seem to pick out the the heartbeats of the of the few people who are sort of wandering on the the walkway by the side of your building you your although you don't drink as a normal human would drink when you wake up your your throat feels like quite dry and parched as though you've as you've not had a drink in many evenings and as you all wake Aurelio and Sonia, you will notice when you when you look at Franco that he's he appears to be look a little a little more undead than usual. I know that sounds ridiculous, but you know, he, he looks a bit more he's pre, he's pretty hideous anyway. He's, he's an Osirato, he's pretty rank looking, he's he's got his big collar turned up and his like hair sort of hanging down, trying to hide like his face. But when you catch a glimpse of him, you can see like he, he looks a little bit more drawn and pallid than he does normally and he started to get that sort of you know those red rings of the of almost like tiredness around his eyes and just the the air of a predator seems to hang heavy about him and obviously as kindred yourself you know very well what that means it means he like he needs to probably get himself some blood and like, go and feed probably comment on this as we sort of pick ourselves up uh, <laughs> Franco you uh, are you feeling quite alright I say as I fetch my uh, Tupperware container and slide a finger under the lid and pop it open to uh, release the the aroma of uh, rancid blood <laughs> that I will then proceed to uh, consume. Yeah, I, I think I'll turn my nose up at that. So, that smells foul. Um, I think I should be taking an evening stroll. Find something a little bit more uh, fresh. Take care. Um, he's a he's a sand man. He's Indeed. So that means normally style. you would feed from someone who's sleeping. Effectively, you you steal blood from people who are who are resting. Hmm. So but that doesn't that doesn't necessarily mean you're killing them, does it? No, no. It doesn't necessarily mean that's the only way. Ideally, you're not. That that that's <laughs> yeah. just basically your like standard method of hunting. Yeah. Yeah, like left to your own devices, like you just like ah, I, I better go get some food. That's that's what you do. That's, but, but how how discreet can you do it? I mean, uh... okay. Well, luckily for you, when a kindred normally lesses something, particularly that prevents it, even a hideous member of Clan Nasratu like yourself, when a a vampire feeds their as part of almost like the the predator's like natural, if you could call it natural, 
defences. When you sink your fangs into a person, it creates this sense of euphoria in a victim that's conscious in order to and it's purely a thing to prevent them from like struggling as you're stealing their blood now some clans it doesn't work for most clans it does now for yourself if it's a sleeping victim obviously they don't sort of wake up and start having this euphoric experience the way i'm choosing to read it is that if you feed off a sleeping victim effectively this sort of euphoric effect causes them to enter this like really pleasant sort of dream deep dream state where they're having like really nice dreams so like they don't wake up and they don't notice that their lifeblood's being sapped out of them by a an evil undead predator of the night yeah so i will be thinking about you know what i need to do so i'll be looking for um probably tourists hotels uh peeping in a people in a sort of fairly lubricated drunken state as easy easy sort of um prey just to top up okay that's absolutely fine so to see how successful you are in this i'm going to ask you to make me a dexterity plus stealth roll as you creep about looking for blood and the the highlight here is that as you are now hungry, this is more dangerous to do uh, yeah. because you, you will have four hunger dice, which can create problems going forward. But Yeah, and giving your dice pulls only five. That means all but one of your dice are hunger dice, effectively. I'm just checking because he also likes to use like silence of death. Uh, okay. which is his like, stealth when uh, okay, know, there's, what, le- what level of power is that because uh, obviously if it's if it's higher than level 1 it may require a no. rouse check no it's, it's only level 1 okay yeah. um, but it just might help a little bit right so it was a uh, dexterity what was it sorry um, dex stealth uh you click on the decks or the stealth? Oh, no, yeah. um, you click on the stealth. Yeah. Okay. Success is one. Yep, so you have managed to locate someone. So I'm just going to quickly use this handy dandy random chart of people that they give you. Okay, not a problem. So, you, as you're creeping through the city silently, your the noise of your passage masked by your Nosferatu talents, you spot in the distance a a building that you know to be. Let's be charitable and call it something of a a house of ill repute. And as you spot this place, you you draw closer. You're thinking, well, maybe you can slip inside, avail yourself of the blood on offer inside. Perhaps your your hunger getting the better of your your better judgment. And you're just about to try and creep inside when you notice in an alleyway just to the side of the building, there is a 
a large gentleman. He's he basically looks as though he's passed out in an alleyway. His his trousers are round his ankles. His like boxer shorts are sort of like half pulled up, as though he sort of like stumbled out of somewhere like trying to get dressed quickly. His like buttons are done up a bit funny, as though he was trying to get dressed as he stumbled out. Probably blind drunk, and in fact, as you get a bit nearer, you can you can smell the faint sort of waft of liquor on the air, and he's obviously sort of stumbled into this alleyway, planning on like, finishing dressing himself, and he appears to have passed out. You can see from the the sort of slightly laboured rise and fall of his chest, because he's lying on his front, that he is still breathing. Um. Can I see the door that he's come out of? Is it like yeah? It's the, the back door to it's this it's not the back door. It's the the front door that you were heading towards. Oh. He must have basically staggered out of there and been like, oh, I need to like get myself dressed. And he's ducked into this alleyway to like carry on getting dressed. Obviously, the drinks oh, got right. the better of him, and he's just like collapsed over, and he now lies where a, you find him. It is is a a fairly secluded alleyway, and yeah, fairly so, yeah. He he'd, he'd gone fairly far down the alleyway because he like obviously didn't want anyone like coming across him while he was trying to dress himself. Yep. So I shall definitely approach using my silence still, and then uh, once I get close to him, have a good look around. You know, for any anyone noticing me. Okay, no problem. Make me a make me a wits. Uh, Awareness roll. I wouldn't normally bother with making a roll if you spot anyone, but given that you're so hungry, you're probably just focusing on what's going on. It's it's a messy critical. And I'm going to look this up in the book just because it's the first time we've done this, and I don't want to do you a disservice by doing this wrong, basically. This is is a, a beautiful... Uh, place to, you know, get all these deeds down because this is something that we probably will run into a bunch. Yep. Um, and while John is looking that up, I'm Already going got to bother on. And, oh, wonderful. Okay, so just to let you guys know, when when your hunger level goes up, a number of dice in your pool for any roll are replaced with hunger dice. If you get if you succeed on a roll, but most of your successes are on your hunger dice, it's what's known as a messy critical. You still succeed, but in some way, like your beast manifests to cause you potential complications further down the road. I'll go into it in more detail in a second. If you get a failed roll, but one or more of your hunger dice come up as a one, that's what's known as a bestial failure. And in that, you failed the roll, but again, your beast has caused some complications. So the book describes a messy critical as a critical win in which one or more tens appear on a hunger dice. That's a messy critical. The character succeeds as an irregular critical, but like an animal would, not a being capable of foresight or self-control. So in this situation, I think it's probably fairly obvious that Franco's hunger has got the better of him. He's seen this guy, he's like, the blood's there, and... As he's getting closer, his beast bubbled to the surface. He's thrown caution to the wind. He's like, right, I just want this blood. I'm all about this blood. And 
there'll be a bit of discussion here because the storyteller and the player work together to decide on the level of success and the level of mess. By and large, they scale upwards together, so most success, mo mess. The following are results from what it describes as a good meaty mess. Take that as you will. The character gains one or more stains from their monstrous actions, and these can lead to like your humanity sort of ebbing away in the long run. You breach the masquerade, like someone's seen you with like your fangs out, like <laughs> over this guy. You could lose a dot from an advantage, like I don't know if you were driving, maybe you've you've totaled your car as you leapt out to get at the guy's blood or whatever. If none of the other conditions fit the narrative, such as on a stealth or awareness test, which this is. The messy critical turns into a simple mess and the test fails as the beast clouds the senses. So if we wanted to, we could just go, as a result of this, it's failed for whatever reason. You've not been able to get the blood. But personally, I think that's not one of the most interesting ways of handling it. But as I say, it is a, a discussion between myself and yourself, Darren. And obviously, guys, Johannes, Dave, feel free to chip in. Because what we're looking to do now is we're looking... You've succeeded, unless we decide we're just going to go with a straight fail. But otherwise, you've succeeded, you'll get the blood, that's in the bank, you can take that home with you. But we just now have to decide on what's happened that's going to cause complications. And it's not supposed to be a case of like, oh, this has just like ended your character. It's supposed to be like, oh, additional complications have occurred that's going to like drive plot or create interest sort of further down the line. So what do we think, guys? I think it's obvious that uh, Franco's like, hungers overcame his his natural uh, his better judgment, as we as we sort of said. What do we think in terms of this messy critical? What could have occurred? Um, and you say the more um, hunger dies, so the more successes on that, the worse it is, sort of. Well, it, it basically yeah. the. It doesn't necessarily have to be, but the the scale of the complication should be equal to the scale of the success. So if we if we're doing this in like if the easiest one is if we're doing this in a combat. If you were in a combat and you, you got a messy critical but you'd only done like a little bit of damage to to your enemy, it'd only be a little complication. Whereas if you've just like leveled your enemy and like taken him down in like a one because you've got like a really massive success the the complications caused would be like equally as grand. So I'm I'm sort of seeing it as uh, one normal success, three sort of bad success, so plus two or minus two, whichever way. So uh, I think the the two obvious things for me would be obviously someone seeing you would yep. be an obvious one, or. Uh, Hunger's got too much of him. This geezer's not the healthiest guy, and he's actually ended up killing him instead of just like drinking a bit of blood and just leaving him be and you know walking off. He's not of the best health, and it's actually sort of put him over the edge somehow. Or the way he's done it, he's uh, hit a vein or something that's yeah. you know he's, he's bled out basically, uh, or enough to to cause him to. <coughs> Yeah, I think we could we could potentially go with like with either of those. I don't know if, uh, like, say, Dave or Johannes, you have any thoughts. I mean, obviously, like myself and you have the sort of like final say here, Darren. But you know, it's always good I would to get some say, ideas. You know, um, maybe the the victim wakes up 
and manages to get a blurry photo of this alleged vampire. Because then that can link back to your um, spooky police officer. So it gives you potential further down the line. You've not technically destroyed the masquerade and wanted for breaching it, basically. Yeah, I could see that. I mean, I suppose we could we could say that uh, we could say that Franco was like fed on this guy. He's like recovered a bit more quickly than expected. As Franco's sort of like exiting stage left. He's recovered a bit, and either he's got like his mobile out, or he's a tourist, so maybe he had a camera on him, and he's just quickly, like, set up very hazily, like, snapped a sort of Dutch angle, like, blurry photo of like this strange figure running away, and he's like, he's sort of like, oh, I don't know what happened. I woke up in this alleyway. I was, I, I felt like a bit woozy, and this this fellow was bent over me, and he he ran off. I managed to get this picture, and it, it wouldn't be like a a mugshot of you it'd be like really blurry sort of like guy with a big collar up and like greasy hair like disappearing off so yeah we could do something like that yeah this if we go with this that's a wonderful start for this guy to be a uh, <laughs> an individual who is going to engage in like haunted supernatural you know Venice uh, because he's got the photo in his uh, camera of uh, this, like, straight off the uh, Chronicles of Darkness core rulebook, uh, sort of dark alleyway, uh, shady figure, maybe sort of like half profile with like one glinting eyeball looking at the camera. And uh, you can interpret the, the shadows in the alleyway in any monstrous format you want. <laughs> yeah, I can see we've. Uh... We've got uh, we've got Rob Bamper in the chat who is just like oh messy critical he's getting slid into the bin. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Shout out to uh, Rob. Uh, your mustache is also cool, Rob. He was, he was talking to me about that before. Indeed it is. <laughs> okay, so in terms of how much blood you get, Franco, from this guy, if you want to just take a little sip, a little sip from him, that will take three turns. And it will slake one point of your hunger, so it reduce it by one. And that includes like licking the wound afterwards to like close it over. If you want slightly more, you could take, you could slake two dots of your hunger, and that is the maximum you can drink from a human without causing them harm. But that would take you an entire scene because you, you're there for longer drinking the blood. Now, if you're not bothered about this guy or causing him harm. You can you can slake either three you slake three to four hunger. It takes one turn per hunger slaked, and they take a number of aggravated damage equal to like how much blood you've taken from them. Because you're literally like, oh, I'm I'm draining all, pretty much all of your blood. Or if you like really do not give like a a single shining shit about this guy, you can literally be like, right, I'm taking all of his blood, and that will reduce your hunger by five and that will take five turns and it list this is literally the only way in the game you can get to hunger zero because normally you always have hunger one but for like a short time if you completely drain someone afterwards you're like oh my hunger's gone completely 
until it hasn't because obviously vampirism is a curse as we all know and that does result in the death of a person which could potentially have consequences for your humanity depending on how humane your character is yeah well I'd, I'd definitely like to think he'd be able to keep keep himself in a better mindset than that he, he would go for option two of trying to take as much as he could before uh, taking it too far so sort of too too hunger yep so you can uh, reduce your hunger also one which would also fit in with the fact that he's potentially sort of waking up near the end of it just as I'm sort of leaving the scene. And, Indeed. Um, so, sorry, it'll be you reduce your hunger by two. Okay. It takes you a scene. And I'm going to say that sort of since it was a result of a, a messy critical, as we've said, you do get away. I'm going to say you don't necessarily realise that this guy's taken a photo of you you've you've drained a load of blood out of him he's woozy he's uncoordinated uh, and to be fair you're feeling a bit lightheaded because this guy was like incredibly drunk so there's like alcohol in his blood but you know needs must you've you've pounced on him you've you've drained some of his blood he, he barely so he lets out a slight groan as your fangs pierce his flesh and you drain blood out of him feeling the hunger start to recede slightly and then you you leave him where you find him you, you obviously lick the wound so it the wound closes up and you start heading out of the alleyway now we know as the audience that this guy perhaps as a result of having a, quite a strong constitution i mean obviously he likes his drink maybe he's sort of like got accustomed to to sort of like recovering quickly he actually sort of wakes up he's, he's delirious if he was drained shaky he's, he's, got, he's in a cold sweat he's lying on the cold damp stone of this like Venice back alley but he manages to recover a little bit quicker than a normal person would do like I say perhaps he's got quite a strong constitution and as a tourist he he fumbles around in his pockets as he sees this sort of like this figure that he can't quite sort of describe this this sort of a hazy sort of silent figure that he, he just sort of like opens his eye a crack as you're as you're looming over him and then you disappear off he he fumbles around in his in his jacket pulls out like one of those cheap disposable cameras like the polaroid sort of style ones he he literally just points it vaguely in your direction there is a he doesn't even really remember to put the flash on but unfortunately for you because it's a complication there are like windows of like the building nearby with like light coming from them enough to partially illuminate his photo so it's it's murky it's dark but it's it's not just like a black square and he snaps off a picture of you as you disappear into the night and it's only once you've gone a good distance towards returning to your your communal haven and your you started to calm down the hunger's receding you started to come back to yourself a bit more but in the back of your mind you vaguely remember like hearing this like whirring and like a, a mechanical click as you burst out of the alley and left the scene rather rapidly that's the legend of jack the liquor was born that's it 
Would you return it to the communal haven? Okay, so whilst Franco has been out feeding, obviously, Sonia, Aurelio, you've had a bit of time to, to do some stuff for yourself, because obviously Franco did like a fair amount of scouting around to find this guy, took a bit of time feeding, and he's going to make his way back. So what would you have been up to at the very start of your evening? Uh, I would have most likely been practicing my combat. So given the fact we're in a public space, we'll make it look like athletics instead. Okay, not a problem. You start, you know, like doing doing your stretching exercises and like practicing your form. You never know when it's going to be needed. After all, how yep. about how about yourself, Aurelia? Um. Sorry, I neglected to put up the name of this um, this uh, architectural prodigy from way back, John. Do you have it to hand, by chance? The one that we learned of from our ghost friend. Oh, yes, yes, I've got that. The, the, the architect. Palladino? It is. It's Andrea Palladio. Uh, two L's? I will post it in the chat for you on our zoom just give me a second there we go well wonderful thank you yeah no problems okay i'm fully expecting there'll be a lot of copying and pasting names in oh, this yeah. game yeah. yeah same 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 <laughs> um right so uh, so uh, what are you are you doing like katas or like what what's what's sonya's routine Sonya's routine at the moment is she's practicing fighting, but she's making it look more like she's practicing athletics because she's quite live. Mm -hmm. So any tourist passing by are just going to see this local woman doing backflips and somersaults in the front room. Yeah. So I'll be sat in the corner, uh, sipping on my... <laughs> yeah, we are trying to make it look like we are normal people. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'll, I'll be sipping my not a mobster and a death wizard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, my rancid blood cocktail I'm sipping from my uh, Tupperware cup uh, is is going to be. If someone asks, it's uh, it's tomato soup, vodka jello. Oh yeah, well yeah, <laughs> I suppose Campari uh, on on, I don't know gelatin. Uh... <laughs> Yeah, leave the two weirdest ones at home. Yeah, yeah, that'll go well. <laughs> um, to, to to be fair, none of you are exactly unweird. Yeah, which is surprising. Poor, I think we're probably the like least likely to go towards humanity. You know. <laughs> yeah, I, I they're, they're we're in danger. Uh, let's let's leave it at that. Um, so I'll be sat there just like slurping on my uh, my breakfast. Uh, because I was fortunate enough to indeed uh, drain some rancid blood from the corpse that we found in the apartment yesterday. And I stashed that away because I, I wasn't hungry at the time, but I knew that I would be. So I uh, meal prep. Um, and uh, I'm, so I'm, I'm watching you do the thing. Um, it's like, does the name uh, Andrea Palladio ring any bells for you? 
No. Mm. I think I will have to take a moment tonight and retire to the library. There are things that we need to... I need to... look up i uh, just to follow a uh, a strand of thought that i think may be of uh, some relevance now what, what was the name again andrea andrea palladio does that ring any bells john being local yeah as i've said earlier it's the it's the architect i described earlier um, yeah. The one who was sort of instrumental in like rebuilding Venice after the the Great Plague, built a lot of the the fancier churches in Venice, was well renowned for also building like villas and such like across the whole of Italy. Like say is 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 almost sort of viewed as kind of like a saint, or not actually a saint, but in that sort of style of like admiration in Venice because. He was like one of the most influential people at helping it rebuild after so many people died in the the plague. So you would know that because everyone in Venice knows that that he was like a really, really famous yeah. architect and built some of the city's most like wondrous buildings. Uh, I will respond then. Wasn't he the architect? Yes, and um, there is, a, of course, nothing special about that. Well, I don't maybe, know. He built he built an entire city on water. I think that's quite special. Well, I suppose we we do have some things to be thankful of that uh, Aladino did. But one of the things that I uh, rather we with Hugo found last night was. Uh, There are not one but two indicators of Palladio maybe having been influenced by, and I haven't mentioned this to Hugo or Franco, and I would expect that you perhaps deem it also necessary to uh, exercise discretion for the moment, but I believe that uh, Palladio was influenced by well, uh, La Familia um, uh, as it were back then uh, that would have been Augustus's lot now again not particularly special many people were no doubt but I think uh, there are a couple of, uh, well, let, I, I wish to um, uh, the friend that I saw on the bridge last night was it, the, uh, the way that he spoke of Palladio combined with the 
sketches we saw in the priests, which I have uh, actually, and I reach into my uh, my. I suppose I I might have some kind of um, like leather briefcase thing, like a small one. Uh, yeah, that's absolutely fun. So like like a for documents and stuff. So I'll I'll get it and uh, I'll I'll show Andrea. Oh, Andrea. <laughs> Oh, he's here now. Um, Sonia, some of the um, sketches I took from the priest's place because we cleaned all that stuff up. Yeah. Um, so uh, Aurelio shows you a series of slightly crumpled sketches, some of which, as we described when we were going through our, uh, our sort of catch-up on the first session, seem to show this like crude drawing of a, of a human figure, arms outstretched with some sort of light or energy emanating from it. That looks very. If you squint, it vaguely looks like you know. It's almost like radiating out. It's like you might, if the lights were turned down a bit and you were squinting, maybe it might look a bit like angel wings. And then also, there's a number of sketches of sort of like mazes or like labyrinths, like from the top down, like I said, almost like mazes you find in a puzzle book that have been sort of roughly mm-hmm. sketched out. So we have. I remember correctly. Um, the original blueprints for Venice are in the Vatican. Well, that that'll be a. So we're not going to get hold of those anytime soon. I've. In a previous life, uh, I've, I've been there. Uh, not that it's much use now, but. Yeah. Hmm. So we need to find some copies of the. Architecture. Uh, to so rather than the library, maybe you should concentrate on the Hall of Records. It's a good call. I I had intended to flesh out the picture of Paladino, uh, but I suppose we might start with the architecture. Well, I'm thinking if if he's drawn patterns of a maze, I doubt he's done it to cure boredom. No, this is. Um, they would have told you um, some of this. I'm not sure in the, what exact words, but there is in the uh, the true form of the world that we know beyond the shroud. There is a place that some do call the labyrinth, which, given that Palladio is involved, we have a priest who is potentially possessed, maybe hallucinating angels, drawing pictures of a maze of all things. A maze. This might be something that is now surfacing in the aftermath of all that we have done. And uh, I've, I haven't mentioned it to our, uh, our compatriots yet, for I, I wish to uh, oh, sure have more information before that. At the moment, as it stands, that's it's family business. Exactly. 
without confusing them with images of far off mazes in a land they've never even heard of. And speaking of your compatriots, it's at this point in time as Franco's making his way back just down the street, just outside your communal haven. And as you're just about to to push open the door and go in, Franco, you happen to 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 glance to to glance to your right. You know, maybe maybe you're feeling a little bit exposed, maybe a little bit paranoid as you're thinking about this strange sort of mechanical clicking you heard as you as you sort of regretfully like lost a little bit of yourself as you fed on this person. As you look to your right, you see that on a on the wall of a nearby building to your communal haven, there is a a slightly pudgy-looking man wearing a, a sort of winter coat. He's he's holding almost like you know, like a, a wallpaper scrape. You know, like you might used to scrape wall old wallpaper off before applying a fresh paper he's holding one of them and he appears you can't see exactly what he's doing but he appears to be like hunched over and he's he's going like that against the wall of this building you can hear like the <laughs> of this wallpaper scraper against the the plaster and stone of this wall um yeah i mean i'll i'll turn to see you uh, try and work out what he's doing. Is he, is he trying to like um, carve something into the wall, or does it look more like he's trying to remove something from the wall? It's difficult to tell uh, the distance you're at. However, given the implement he's using, you expect that like if he was going to to carve something into the wall, like just that a standard like bread knife or a kitchen knife would be better for it. Mm. So you expect maybe he's trying to remove something from the wall, or and it's like, did you say it's the wall almost opposite where we are? Yeah. Staying. As far as, far as you're aware, it's a perfectly normal sort of building, like sort of domestic building. Can I, um, can I try and, well, actually, the sense of the beast, that's like a passive skill, isn't it? Uh, yeah. Where I detect sort of other vampires and creatures um how close would i have to, how close do you have to be for that uh, sure. yeah. I, I would say it's basically like someone you could reasonably see and communicate with which you would be able to at this distance i mean like you just cross the street from him okay so i would say like yeah that is obviously it's a reflexive thing you know it's it's passive, you don't have to trigger that. But I would say as you're sort of you're focusing in on this person, you're not getting any sense of great hostility from him. Although since you spent a bit of time looking, I'm going to say that you can make me a a wits insight roll. Or you can use investigation if you prefer. Okay, critical success. So, what I'm going to say is, 
if you'd just been looking normally and you've got a normal success, you would have noticed, and you do notice this, that this fellow appears there appears to be like a bit of like nervous excitement about this fellow, you know, like as as he's holding his other hand against the wall, it's like trembling a little bit, but not in fear, you know, you can't smell like the the fear sweat breaking out on him. He seems to be like almost excited and a little bit nervous, like the way he keeps like glancing around although he's not spotted you. And you because of your critical success, you manage to get near enough when you notice that he appears to be scraping like some sort of small rectangular like sticker off the, the wall of this building and he's he's got it half peeled up, it's sort of curled over and you can see he's like he's frantically but but carefully trying to like scrape the rest of it off, obviously trying not to damage it. Like he keeps like scraping it and then like gently pulling the, the sticker up a little scrape a little bit, pull it up a little bit. He's obviously he's obviously uh, worried about damaging it because he's taking far longer. You could just like and rip it off if you weren't concerned about that. Yeah. Well I wanna yeah, I wanna approach him to potentially see if it scares him off so I can see what he's trying to remove before he removes it. Okay, so so how do you how do you approach him? Are you literally just like sashaying up to him Boulder's brass or are you sneaking up to him? Um No, I want him to know that I'm there because 'cause I'm hoping that he might just like run off before he sort of even gets to look at me too closely because obviously my appearance but I will try and hide my appearance with my usual tricks uh, okay so you're using your mask of a thousand faces okay so that lasts for a scene no test is required although you do need to make a rouse check as you will the blood to work your will okay so your hunger level has gone up by one so, okay. you will the blood to to do what you wish it to do, and it, you don't disappear, but as you say, you appear nondescript, but just like a random guy in the street that you might expect to see walking the streets of Venice, as long as you don't do anything to arouse suspicion, they'll just be like, oh yeah, there's some dude just walking down the street, it's fine. But as you call on your blood to do this, you do again start feeling that like nagging sense of hunger, just starting to... like impinge on the corner of your your awareness again hmm. but yeah you you make your way across the the guy's still like glancing around in fact his eyes sort of look dead at you a couple of times as he's like but thanks to your the supernatural abilities of your blood and the Nosferatu clan he doesn't pay you any mind whatsoever despite how nervous he seems and you're able to literally if you want get to like within arm's reach of him and as you yeah as you yeah, do get nearer yeah. you can actually now see now that you're very close you can see there appears to be a a strange sort of pattern of like black lines like ink lines dots and squiggles on this white square sticker that he's peeling off the wall now i'm going to allow since these aren't particularly commonplace at the moment I'm going to say that, but you do have te a level in technology. I'm going to say that you recognise what's on the sticker. It's a QR code. Oh, okay. And this fellow appears like he's literally just about peeled it off, and he's just doing the last little bit. And as you get up, and you're like, "Oh, it's a QR code." He like pulls it off the the wall. 
you see he he takes out like a, a pad, which is like a writing pad, and he like puts the sticker on the on a page of the writing pad, sort of folds it over and he starts like tucking it into his coat pocket. Obviously I've got no idea who he is, I don't recognise him in any way. You don't recognise him, he's uh like I say, he's he's a fairly pudgy guy. He's wearing like I said this uh this thick sort of winter coat he's got he's got sort of round glasses on. But other than that, like you don't recognise him, there's nothing remarkable that stands out about him other than the fact he looks a bit nervous and excited in equal measures and he appears to judging by his body language which obviously as a predator you sort of get used to reading the body language of your prey so to speak he seems to be like basically getting ready to like get out of dodge now he's got this sticker and he he definitely saw me didn't he he's definitely saw you but Thank, yeah. Thanks to the sort of my mystical veiling you have over you, rather than being like, oh no, I've been rumbled, I best leg it. He's like, oh, there's just some dude like wandering around, I don't need to worry about that. So although he's getting ready to like leave, he's not like, oh my God, that guy's seen me, I best run for it. He's just like, oh, I've got my sticker, I'm going to be on my way. Um, yeah, I want to know who this guy is. So my idea is to follow him, but... Uh... I haven't really got time to tell the others. So, yeah, I'm just going to sort of follow him at a distance. So I'll do a classic sort of tying a shoelace or... Okay, so... Similar to sort of slow myself. That's absolutely fine. You follow him to the edge of the Grand Canal, at which point he... He hails down one of the many sort of public boats, effectively the water taxis of Venice. He he gives the name of a of a hotel, which you know to be sure a local. You know that it's one of the many hotels in San Marco. He gives the name of the hotel, like throws a few euros to the to the boat guy, hops in the boat, and the boat heads off down the down the canal towards San Marco. So I heard the hotel name. Yep. Um, and you know obviously the San Marco is like basically the principal like public square of Venice. It's like it's like tourist yeah. destination like numero uno. Yeah. Um and I assume I can't follow him the way he's gone because it is it just rivers or canals you could you could walk there but it would take you like a long time because you have to like cross numerous bridges and numerous little waterways yeah whereas obviously he's pretty much taking the direct route okay um yeah um I feel that I need to uh, withdraw to tell the others at this point. Okay. So I'm going to nip back and, and tell the others and see if they can think of what it might be. Or And I'm going to tell you that the, ask, ask the, local. the name of the hotel he gave was Lagoon Apartments. Lagoon. Yep. 
Okay. Was it, a, was it an individual apartment? Or... No, it's, it's called it's called a lagoon apartment, but it is like a hotel. It's a it's a sort of large building that like directly overlooks like backs onto one of the, one of the main waterways. Okay. But it's a it, it's a li- it's not one of the sort of premium hotels in Venice, but it's not one of the really like nasty ones. But it's the building seen by days basically. Okay, so at this point, as that's happening, you walk back into the communal haven. Where your your colleagues, your coterie mates, Aurelio and Sonia have just sort of wrapped up the discussion they were having. You guys see the door open. Franco, sort of veiled in his normal sort of aura of, I suppose you could say, sort of everyday manness, enters. But despite the fact he he went out because he was like, oh, I'm hungry. I need to like go and feed. When he comes back in, he doesn't look to have like satiated himself. He still looks quite hungry when he comes back in. Not quite as hungry as he did when he went out when he first woke up, but you know you can still tell he's he's looking a little bit ragged around the edges. I mean, maybe it's his maybe it's his natural talents for misdirection that are causing him to not look as hungry now, when in fact he is. Who knows? But he, he definitely the way he's somewhat about the way he's carrying himself tells you that he's he's not satiated himself. Slow night, Franco. What was that? Slow night. Um, wasn't quite as fulfilling as I hoped, and I did. Uh, well, I wouldn't say bump into a bit of trouble, but I saw someone outside. Our building acting very suspicious. Um, have you have you seen these small stickers on the uh, sides of buildings nearby our home recently? Like a one of those QR codes that people use for looking up information on their only in shop windows, I think. Well, I saw a man. He looked quite nervous, um, his disposition. And he was scraping this QR, QR code off the wall very carefully and cautiously as not to damage it before um, putting it into a book or a pad or some sort. Um, I followed him a short distance to one of the canalways and uh, I overheard him say he was going to the Lagoon Apartments. I just wondered what a local like yourself might make of such a event. Is it a um, a game? What, the mortals have these um, computer phone things now, don't they? They play games with them. Oh yes, um, I'm sure. But why would he be so nervous? Maybe he's cheating at the game. Hmm. Would you have seen these QR codes before, like I say, on any walls that we could maybe try and find a similar one? Well, where we get to that? Uh, where did you say he was going? Lagoon Apartments. Well, maybe go there and see if there's one there. 
obviously as locals you guys would know that it's not standard practice for there to be like qr codes on the side of venetian buildings yeah that's why i said just shops <laughs> and even then very few of them because it yeah. was literally brand new exactly yeah and in fact um, it's only due to the fact that uh that franco has like a level of technology skill that you recognized it otherwise you'd probably been like oh, what's that weird thing because like you say they're, they're pretty new at this point in time maybe we should go there then franco and see if there's these qr things so if you two head over there do what, whatever this is i will be taking a tour to the uh uh the archives i need to look something up and i'll sort of gather my uh well don't get any paper cuts <laughs> okay so... i will meet you later then yeah Okay, so in terms of in terms of your research, because that'll be we, we can resolve that with a, a fairly quick. Yeah. Problem. So, um, yep. what is it you're trying to research, and where is it? So you're doing it. Um, uh, so looking up, um, what specifically like making a a list of things that, um, Andrea was involved in building, personally designed, basically all all of that good stuff. Um that we know where Andrea's design work has been potentially put into the city and um, get a map of the city, start putting those things on there, uh, start figuring out like where has Andrea touched the city. And yep. uh, yeah, we'll, we'll start with that. And if any of these things uh, stand out as specifically uh, significant, uh, in any kind of, shall we say, uh, occult way, uh, then of course that will be noted. But that's just to like kickstart the whole thing that I'm going to be researching, okay. which is to say, like going to these places and looking at them more closely. Okay, so on. I would say we'll the the research part of it will handle either a an intelligence academics role, or if you're looking into it from more of an artistic point of view, you could use intelligence performance an appropriate type um i think aurelio probably doesn't have the the artistic merit in mind at all at this point okay so uh was that intelligence uh academics academics yeah intelligence oh there we go that, that'll do Okay, so you begin your research into the the architect Andrea Palladio. As I said, Italian Renaissance architect, active in the Venetian Republic, heavily influenced by Greco-Roman architecture, designed churches and, and palaces. You do find out one interesting just like nugget of biographical information that you find out in addition to about the specific buildings. You find out that he had a fairly unexceptional career until either the year 1538 or 1539 there seems to be a bit of uncertainty about that when he was 30 years old and he built a villa for the renowned poet at the time Gian Giorgio Trissino 
and that got him noticed by several influential people in Venice who employed him as part of the efforts to like rebuild Venice. Mm-hmm. You then continue your research into like specific buildings he made, and you find out that although he's he's renowned throughout Venice as almost like the father of like the 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 rebirth like modern Venice, like he didn't actually build that many buildings himself personally. He more sort of like laid out the the plans for like the overall structure, the architectural plans. However, he did directly get involved with. A couple of churches that were built there's the church of san giorgio maggiore and the a church called the redentor church which is in the geodeca area of dusadoro which is down here and he was directly involved on them the redentor church particularly was built as a partly a memorial but also a place to to house a lot of the bodies of the the victims of the plague of 1575 which like i say killed 50,000 odd venetians and it's one of like the as a result it's one of the largest like churches not the largest but one of the biggest churches in venice and he sort of wanted like a grand monument to like commemorate the people who died and he seemed you see basically that he he's basically oh you know when we're looking forward to venice's future and we're rebuilding a new city on top of the old, we shouldn't forget what went before. And he seemed like quite sort of taken with the idea that, you know, even though we, we want to move on from the past, we, we've still got to like remember it and learn lessons from it. Um, you also know that he built a number of villas on the outskirts of Venice. A little bit of research as well tells you that unfortunately most of those don't survive in the same form now because obviously there's more and more people in Venice's space became a more of a premium so a, a few of them no longer exist at all they were demolished some of them still exist but they've been converted to like more modern homes but they've sort of kept like as much of the architectural facade as they could when they were sort of repurposed well that's what you find out about the architect Palladio is there anything else specifically that you were looking into that I've not covered um, there, or... Yeah, primarily, like, what has Palladio made that we can point out on a map and then create said map from the info, uh, make note of all this, uh, and... Yeah, well, pr- as I say, pretty much the, the only things he... the only things he was directly involved in building were the, the two churches and mm-hmm. a lot of these villas. Most of the surviving ones are currently in the Castello district, because obviously more open areas survived there. They they drained the the waters to reveal more land there, so there wasn't quite the pressures there were in other areas. But pretty much the whole the whole sort of layout of the city as it is now, he had a hand in. Although he didn't directly build it all, he was basically mm-hmm. the person who drew up like the architectural blueprint for the city of Venice as it exists in modern yeah. nights. Am I able to uh, access any of the <laughs> blueprints, the zone planning from back in the day? Yep, you can see that although there have been some alterations over time, of course, uh-huh. it seems as though back in the day he he wanted to build the city so it was sort of 
the building sort of radiated outwards from the the Grand Canal, which, although there wasn't the big tourist trade back then that there is now, it's always been the sort of main artery of trade and the sort of lifeblood, no pun intended, mm-hmm. of the the city. So he basically started with like the most important buildings, like nearer to the Grand Canal. You know, like the sort of the big like civic buildings, you big churches, mm-hmm. stuff like that. And then as it sort of radiated out from the Grand Canal, you then started to get like your residential buildings, and it sort of tapered off in at the edges. If possible, I'd like to get some copies made of just you know the sort of zoning ideas. Yeah, it's, and plans. it's, it's not a problem. I mean, the it's all sort of none of it's like privileged information it's just mm-hmm. like historical documents and obviously you wouldn't be able to take the original documents but yeah, yeah. but when you're like oh can I, can I get like a photocopy of this yeah of course you can not yep. a problem yep so I'll, I'll get the I have my own map that I'm sort of adding on to as I get info and then I'll get the uh, the copies start making up this like of research into the matter here and um, to continue on when you know all this is done and we'll jump off no doubt to my compatriots there but the next stop for Aurelio is going to be uh, as I refer to uh, the Redentor Church so heading there next not a problem so like I said we'll jump over to the others for a few moments so you guys were heading to the lagoon apartments that's correct isn't it yeah okay yep not a problem you head over to 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 san marco which actually is the main tourist area of the city it's absolutely jam-packed with tourists uh as you head through there, you can see that there's a number of, you assume, sort of employees of the city council or some such, and they appear to be like pinning up flyers, um, posters, etc. And you catch a glimpse of the, the flyers as you walk past, and they seem to be advertising the fact that from the 4th of February up to the 28th of February the the somewhat resurrected modern version of the ancient carnival tradition is going to be hosted in Venice and obviously these posters have been designed mainly for for tourists and in fact the the sort of tradition of carnival, you know, these masked balls, etc., sort of died out for quite some time. It it was like a a thing that was around during like the time of the Grand Tour. Then it died out, and it's over the last sort of like ten, fifteen years, it's been slowly resurrected as basically a tourist attraction. You know, people come to get dressed up in like silly costumes, and they all like dance and eat food and drink far too much and. Like I say, it's just designed by the the council to like bring money, more money out of tourists, basically. But these these flyers are going up as you walk around. 
you get when to. When is that taking place? That is taking place in February. Just give me a second. I'll give you the the dates. It's the Saturday, the fourth of February, running through to Thursday. Sorry, Tuesday, the twenty eighth of February. What was today's date? Sorry. Today you're on the second of January. Us. Okay, but you, unless you particularly want to, you continue on your way. Is yeah. there any of those QR code things on that poster? Not as far as you can see. We'll keep an eye out as we're travelling <laughs> towards this hotel lagoon apartment, see if we see any others. I would, I would wager that that code has nothing at all to do with government. Yeah, I didn't know if it was anything to do with the clans. Um, I, don't, I don't think he was a member. <laughs> yeah, you're pretty sure that if he'd if he'd had a beast, you know, the sort of the darkness that resides in the heart of all kindred as part of that curse, you with your your abilities, you would have sensed it when you got close to him earlier. I mean, unless he was a an almost saintly sort of uh, purveyor of humanity who'd somehow like reached like as near as possible to like sainthood within vampirism and it you don't even know if that's possible that's a legend talked about by kindred that you know if you if you can reclaim your humanity that you can you can almost sort of deny the effects of the curse but it, it, it's a legend like no one has ever met anyone as far as you're aware that's actually reached what they call Golconda, this heightened state where you're you're no longer vampire, but you're not human. You're almost something better than both. But unless he was at that stage, you'd have probably worked out he was a vampire. And you're like, he, he's scraping a sticker off a wall in like a dark alleyway. Not, I'm not really getting the sort of saintly like vampire Jesus vibe off him. But yeah, you head to Lagoon Apartments, like I say, back onto the the Grand Canal. It's a large square sort of red brick building that as with most of the buildings in venice has that sort of foot high like watermark at the bottom of it on one side of the building there's a almost like a sort of tower like structure which again has like a sort of a a red brick build and a sort of tower roof on it and you can see the the front door it's one of those revolving perspex doors that you see in a lot of hotels and you can see there seems to be a fairly steady stream of slightly slightly more well-off than average tourists sort of making their way in and out you know you see people with like suitcases and like pulling like wheeled suitcases behind them you know like they've got kids with them or they're sort of struggling with their stuff and they're like all making their way in or out As you approach, you don't you don't immediately see any sign of this guy that you saw. I see lots of people. I just wasn't around for the descriptions. So. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just staring. 
Yeah, I mean, I'd have given him a rough description. Of yeah, the way, but... he's basically like, oh, he was this, it was this slightly pudgy guy with like little round glasses, uh, wearing that like a big. Much like... Describes every American. Yeah, well, wearing like a big sort of like winter coat, you know, like carrying a notebook and like a satchel. I think I will check the sort of. Have they got like a small bar area or something, just in cases? Yeah, as you as you head inside, you can indeed see that there's basically the main lobby, and then off to one side there's like a little, a little flight of like three stairs heading up, and there is like an and it's fairly small because space is limited, but there is like a little sort of open bar area, you know, with a couple of settees, a few seats, a little sort of semi-circular bar. There's a a young Venetian gentleman stood behind the bar. There's a couple of like women sort of like going around collecting glasses and obviously working behind the bar as well. They're all dressed in like smart waistcoats, uh, trousers. They're also like, as as customers go by, you can hear them sort of asking people if they're finished with their glasses. There's a couple of uh, obvious tourists sort of like ordering drinks at the bar and the, the barman sort of taking the money and serving them the drinks. You know, you notice that the the place seems to be designed mainly, unsurprisingly, to cater to tourists. You can tell that by looking at the the booze that's behind the bar. It's not like your sort of local stuff. It's all the the stuff that tourists like. You've got like your Jack Daniels and your stuff like that. I'm gonna Any get behind Franco and just say, "Give me three hundred euros." Okay, so Franco, you're looking around. You don't see any sign of this guy when your companion sort of slides up behind you and says in your ear, like, oh, give, give us 300 euros. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's no problem. That's, that's chump change to you. Sort that out. Yeah, so, so Franco just sort of like reaches in his wallet takes out a wad of like notes and like passes them back okay. to you. I'm going to totter over to the uh, concierge desk. Yeah, not a problem. You you walk over, there's a, a slightly older gentleman there who's, again, decked out in what appears to be sort of like grey waistcoat, dark trousers and sort of like red tie, which appears to be like the uniform of this hotel. And as you approach, he says, oh, can I help you at all, madam? Yes, um, I'm looking for a gentleman. He just dropped 300 euros outside the front of the hotel. I thought I'd return it to him. <laughs> ah, so you can like, you're literally like waving like the wedge. <laughs> yeah, that's it. There you go. <laughs> Drop 300 euros. Mm -hmm. now, you see like his eyes widen as you like, literally like, wave this wad of cash up under his nose. And he says, um, oh, uh, uh, can, can you tell me the, the gentleman's name or, or at least describe him? Um, I can... I can describe, certainly I can describe him for you. I'll give the description of the gentleman. Okay, not a problem. So, I'm going to ask, you can, I would say, probably manipulation, because you're trying to get something out of him. Um, manipulation, I'd probably say etiquette or subterfuge would both be applicable. I will also give you an additional two dice bonus, because you're like, you're basically like, oh, <laughs> you want some of this cash, son. Uh, it's subterfuge. What did you say? Manipulation. Yeah, he's trying to get him to do something. 
and plus two. Oh, it's a messy, messy critical. critical. Okay, so again, as with as with previous, what we did with Franco, you have succeeded. So obviously, you've not killed this guy because your aim was to get him to give you the details on yep. this dude. But something of the predator or the the beast in you has caused something which might cause complications in the future. I'm going to see how good my memory is and if I can remember where it is. Page 206, there we go. Lovely. So, again, I'll just... And obviously we'll get used to this as we go on more in the game, but uh, just to make sure we're doing it right, I'm going to look it up now. You could gain one or more stains. And basically the way stains work is if you've got any, I believe it's at the end of the session, you have to make a roll based on the amount of stains you've got. And if you fail on that roll, it can knock your humanity down. That's how humanity works in this game. Perhaps you breach the masquerade. You could lose a dot of an advantage. I don't really see how that's applicable. Or we could just be like, oh, yeah, you, it, it's turned into a, a failure. I'll, I'll take some stains, John. Okay, lovely. I was hoping you were going to say that, because I'm, I'm interested to see how, how this works. Let's see stains humanity and the way it describes this i'm so i'm not going to read from the book very often but yep. just while we're getting used to it humanity only shifts in response to actions with major story significance embracing a new child damage to a touchstone stuff like that the more usual corruptions and defamations of the character's humanity can cause stains on their humanity track if too many build up without repentance or redress the character's humanity might drop and the way you track stains is where your humanity is so what we should do is we shouldn't really have those ones filled in so what you do is when you get so you've got like a, a level one stain you start filling in from the left hand side oh this has gone a bit weird can you remember how you fill this in on this sheet Janus? uh which bit the um how you fill in the humanity on here because I'm trying to fill it in from the right hand side and it's uh, right so how did I puzzle this so um, I th the way that I've set it up on mine is uh, we've got uh, yeah so I've got seven so I've filled seven from the left in red and I think because we only have empty dash and red yeah I think I think uh, we might have to finagle this a little bit uh, by hand somewhere else. Yeah. But um, uh, for now, I would what I would do is I would put a dash uh, at the end of your uh, humanity, like your actual rating. I would put a dash there for each yeah, stain. Yeah. I see what you're saying. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So. Blah blah blah. blah, blah. And I'm going to look up, because I believe there's a chart you can roll on for what type of stain you get. So I'm going to see if I can find that, because I can't remember where it is. I believe it's it's just stains, and then... Oh, is it, is uh, it just literally, you don't get a specific yeah, one, you just get... Yeah, yeah the, um, I, I think, just speculating here, you might be recalling uh, compulsions. Which is Yes, you're right, that's what I'm thinking yep. of. Yeah, okay. And I, I looked those up earlier tonight, because I was like, 
are we going to get into this? Um, so I think stains are just stains and they're all the same category and you, you deal with those. Uh, I do also recall that that was the, like the end of the session. Kind okay, of yep. So what I've done, Dave, if you look at your character sheet, I've, mark, I've basically put a slash mark on one of your humanity boxes. Yeah. So you've got a, a, a level one stain. And the way this works is if you have any stains on your humanity track at the end of the session, you make a remorse test, which is you roll a number of dice equal to the unmarked, unfilled dots on your humanity track. So for you, it'd be two dice. You always get to roll one dice, even if it's full. If the remorse yep. roll results in at least one success, you feel a bit of guilt and shame. And you, you get rid of your, your stains and you retain your humanity. If it results in no successes, the beast has won and you lose one point of humanity, but you get rid of all the stains. Nice. Okay, so I'm going to say that perhaps with the, the stain, you know, maybe you you look a bit a bit over eager, or maybe subconsciously this guy picks up on something of the order of the predator about you. So rather than being sort of, oh, I, I really want some of this money, maybe I'll get a big tip out of this. Now he's more sort of like he's still going to give you the information, but now he's more sort of a bit nervous, like oh this this woman's giving me like the crazy eyes like I, I want to give her this information so she'll like get away from me as quickly as she can but you still get the information okay that works for the persona so that's fine okay lovely jubbly so he now sort of stammering a bit nervously he says oh um, yes madam um the uh, the, the gentleman you're after is a, is a mr totino he's a he's staying in a room 55 Thank you. Um, I'll, I'll stalk off. <laughs> yeah, no problem. You sort of sashay off, and you, as you do, yeah, like a, a slight sort of faint, like sigh of relief from the concierge as you sort of disappear off. And uh, you, you vaguely sort of just on the edge of your perception hear a couple of his colleagues like, oh, you know, what's wrong with you? Like, you broke out in a cold sweat, and he's like, He's like, oh, I don't know what it was. It's just uh, something about that, that that woman, and then he sort he seems to, like shake it off a little bit, and he's, uh, he's like, anyway, we, we haven't got time for this. We, we've got work to be doing. And he's like, oh, get it, get over your work. And sort of sends everyone back to work. But you've got the information. Okay, I'll go and find Franco, who's probably still trying to wangle some information out of the bar. So while all that's been going on, Franco. <laughs> What have you been doing at the bar? Um, no, I was just surveying, seeing if he's got himself a coffee or a drink of some description. Okay. Now, this is, as far as I'm aware, this is basically just pure luck. Like, does he happen to be in the bar? So mm. what I'm going to suggest is you just roll a single D10. It's a 50-50 chance he might be in the bar. If you, if you get an odd number, it's not an even number. He is in the bar. Okay, so he is not in the bar. Okay. Um, but that, that'll be just sort of, uh, yeah, from a distance. So it'll take me a little while because I'll be keeping my distance. I'll be just sort of looking about while um, Sonia's sort of 
getting some more useful information. Okay, absolutely fine. So, you you reconvene after a short time, Sonia and uh, yourself, like just to by the stairs that lead up to the little sort of raised bit where the the bar is. Obviously, you've got your information, Sonia. Franco's been scoping out the bar, but there's been no sign yeah. of this, Mister. Tell, tell Franco the room number, his name. Uh, I shall also inform that I used the three hundred the three hundred euros to bribe the concierge. Okay. Even though I've kept it. Um. So, what do we do with this information? Well, you're the one that's concerned about these QR code things. Oh yes, I'm intrigued. What it is. So uh, I'll, I'll leave it to you. I'll just stand here, look pretty, and if anybody tries to hurt you, I shall rip out their heart. How's that sound? Hmm. Intriguing. Uh, yeah, so I'm going to uh, go and find this room. Okay, so you you get the elevator up to the next floor. You count along the room numbers until you get to room 55. It's pretty much your standard, you know, sort of swipe card room entry system. All the rooms have numbers on them. You're stood outside the, the fairly plain, sort of white painted door of room 55. And as you listen with your, your vampiric senses, you think you can hear like someone like typing or like maybe a computer keyboard or something similar, like just, just further in the room, not behind this uh, closed door. Mm. And, um, what sort of time is it? Let's see. With you doing that and the research and then travelling, we're probably on about ten o'clock now. Hmm. Um. I mean, he's not gonna just give up the information. So. Um. Just thinking, what's the best way? Oh, Franco's a little bit nervy after the uh, incident earlier that he hasn't told anyone about yet, obviously. Of uh, giving up his identity and also using his abilities when he feels the hunger is already starting to creep up on him once again. Um... He's wondering if it might be better to wait till this guy's potentially asleep and try and sneak in uh, and look around in private rather than try and confront him. It's certainly a possibility. Could just eat him. Wait. If it is something that's interesting it might you know it might be useful to question him although I am somewhat still hungry two birds one stone 
Mm. But all he's done is steal a stick. Oh yeah, that's what I mean. I don't think he's guilty of anything. Other than stealing a stick. Yeah. <laughs> right, I'll tell you what, while, while you guys are thinking about that, why don't we jump back over to Aurelio for a, a short period. What's Aurelio up to at the moment? Like I say, it's about, about sort of 10.15 in the evening by now. Now, I'm not expecting you to have the sort of opening hours of every church in Venice, but... No, oddly enough, I don't. <laughs> yeah. Um, However, yeah, it, it is a... we never get the prep we want, John. No, no, we never do. <laughs> However, like I say, a lot of Venice revolves around tourism, and even like yeah. the churches, we need to keep that money coming in for repairs. And there is like a very strong sort of like a vein it's of Catholic Catholic as well, isn't it? Yeah, Catholicism. Yeah. Yeah. They are open twenty four seven. I was going to say, yeah. yeah, pretty much every church yeah. in Venice is like open twenty four seven. I would have gone to the Redenta Church, um, and um, if there is any staff about, I, I would try and get them to the side. And as we sort of cut in, maybe I'm in the process of trying to convince them to like, um, if the places where they so the way that i understood it was that they interred some folks here who yeah. um had perished in the the plague tragedy i would want to go and look at the uh, look at those places look at those remains the the tombs the crypt or whatever form it takes yeah, that is absolutely fine. Obviously, because the the Redenta Church is in Geodeca, which is mm -hmm. sort of down there, you would need to charter yep. a boat or some form of transport to get yourself across. I, I don't see. I any... would. I would uh, actually. On good of you to mention that because I didn't think about that, and I have a, I have a touchstone. So I go and look for my. Um... My touchstone friend here. Who... Are you talking about Francesca Savina, the tour guide? Uh... Or you mean Alfonso, the poor boatman? Yeah, the the poor boatman, the uh, the poorest of boatmen, um, who is indeed my go-to when I want to go somewhere. And my sort of modus operandi with him is, and we will maybe play this out, whatever you decide. But it's like I'm I'm trying to like use his services for free. Uh, as usual, in exchange for, uh, well, uh, such as my company is, and also, um, well, uh, religious insight and blessings for the evening and hopes for his mortal soul. Okay, so it takes you a short while, but you do indeed eventually track down Alfonso, and he's he manages to make a living scraping by by ferrying tourists out maybe doing a little bit of fishing but he, he's just got like a shabby old sort of like boat that he owns that's like a manually sort of poled boat it's not one of the new fancy ones it mm -hmm. doesn't look fancy enough to be one of like the major tourist draw sort of gondolas but 
he just about manages to scrape by you know because he he can only really charge sort of pittance for for travel for taking tourists about but you do eventually find him as he's he's just dropped off at what appears to be like a couple of like backpackers probably students you know and they lacking the the financial means to hire one of the more resplendent methods of transport they've gone for a poor old alfonso's like a little uh, shitty gondola that he's got and he's just dropped them off he doesn't seem to have spotted you yet as he's like he's counting out the few like euros mm -hmm. they've given him yeah and i'll uh as i approach i will raise up my hand and uh wave at him uh to eventually hopefully attract his attention he, he, eventually after he's finished counting his takings and he's mm -hmm. he's put them away in his pocket he, he does indeed look up and he sees you now how would what alfonso know yours would he just know he was aurelio or yeah yeah aurelio like fa father uh aurelio because i've like he's only ever seen me with the castle as a praise so. yeah <laughs> so as he sees you he, he he says oh father it's uh it, it's good to see you uh tell me uh, how are you faring and then as is often his way, he gets a little bit lost in his own reverie. He says, "I, I, I swear, every every day it gets harder and harder just to to, to to make enough to make enough money to feed feed yourself a crust in this city." Uh, uh, I find myself attending to some studious matters this evening, but Alfonso, it is. Uh, and like it's just clearly uh Aurelio is actually good point um maybe Aurelio such as I am myself realized it a little bit too late probably need to try and at least look like not a corpse so here goes um yeah I I summon the blush of life <laughs> before yeah, so, I, I, I think get as into you the sort of wave at him you you sort of realize just as you're getting a bit closer you're like oh yeah the whole like thrice dead corpse thing isn't really going to wash so you you will the blood to to create a facsimile of life a, a sort of a blush of health if you will uh, the the poor boatman alfonso doesn't seem to have picked up on the fact that you've like only just sort of gone oh yeah sure let's do that and was... i i admonish myself mentally for once again just yeah completely forgetting that uh luckily I for you because we're in the sort of winter months and it's quite cold yeah you think that like any sort of paleness as you walk across it would probably have sort of gone oh yeah it's because of the winter weather and you know you're out there just in like your cassock and whatever you're not wearing like big mm -hmm. winter clothes so you're like i think i've got away with it and he's like oh he's like i say 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 no more father say no more i'm a i'm a good uh i'm a good devout soul i won't stand to i won't stand to see you stranded here if it's uh it's within the power of these uh these poor old bones of mine to uh to see you safely to your desert please, please 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 get it get in get in and as you get in you see like the boat sort of sways a little bit dangerously it probably lets in like mm -hmm. a tiny little bit of water it's it's not in great nick rather like, like his clothes that... there's a few holes and it's a bit shabby i like to imagine that there's a um so you know like a like a plastic uh canister for some kind of liquid uh whatever it might be i think he has one of those with the because there's a handle on on one of those I, I like to think that he's got one of those and he's he's 
caught it, I know exactly the type of thing that I'm trying to des- desperately describe because I've I've seen them myself and used them myself in real life. He's caught it in such a way that you can use it as a scoop to <laughs> get the water out the bottom of the gondola <laughs> and toss it outside. Uh, I, I, I think boat. I think he, like you say, he probably does have like this improvised scoop, and part of the reason mm-hmm. he like he only charges like a pittance is. As you know from previously having used his services, that like if you're a passenger in like Alfonso's yep. shabby little boat, he ex- he's like, well, I'm doing all the I'm doing all the steering and whatever. You need yep. to be there, bailing yep. out whatever little bits of water yep. comes in. So before I get into into doing my part of the work, I um... he's like, oh, well, let me help you in, Father. Let me help you in. And he's sort of like, yeah, I'll I'll, I'll let him. Um ease me into the boat and so, uh, as before i go and sit down i um reach into uh, a pocket and uh as is often my way like i don't i purposefully never bring him actual money <laughs> to um to pay him with but i i try and do something uh sometimes it's like oh uh i don't know here's a cup of coffee or something and this time uh, i i press into his palm a couple of stubs like you know ticket stub type things and uh say there is um a a new uh cafeteria type uh american um that has opened up in the um the harbor that away i motion towards like, the land he basically sort of makes that like noise and he's yeah. like it's like oh more more tourist places more more foreigners coming in with their mass and their not wanting to give money to good, honest, hard-working folks, and he takes a little flask out, and he's like, "Yep." And I say, <clears throat> "Would you, would you um, care for a sip, Father?" And he holds it out, and you can basically tell there's like a very cheap whiskey in this little yeah. flask. I'll, I do the same thing I did previously. Yeah, just as, pretend to yeah, not drink. I take it, and I, I stop her with my tongue. Yeah. <laughs> even but, if, um, even if I, you noticed you weren't drinking it, you probably wouldn't take offence. But like you were praised. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, I probably rely a lot on that, like the social capital of having a cassock so people don't question you <laughs> as much anyway, or give you a little bit of leeway because of that. Uh, anyway, so I explained to him, like, those two, uh, I am told, are a, uh, a, a... You can redeem for one each. Um, you, you can redeem a, uh, a meal. The place is... Please do go look for it. Uh, it is called uh, the Subway, uh, and uh, I believe these will net you a a, a meal of bread. It, w- it will not be focaccia, it's, but it says, will be something. It says Subway. What kind of ridiculous name is that for a, for a cafe? I have... It is a... Yes, it is. It is, it is, it is their way. And much as... Um, the good lord tests the americans with difficulties of naming their cafes it also uh he, he also tests us with the uh with the cruelties of never getting the monetary compensation we should have and uh an unrelenting schedule that sends you uh in matters of study into the dark night my friend um uh, let us be on our way uh, let us not tarry. He says, "Well," and he he starts sort of like pulling the, uh, pulling the boat out, tucks the the cafe stubs away, and he starts sort of slowly pulling the boat out. As he's as he's yep. steering the boat out across the 
across the bay towards Geodeca. He says, says oh, he's making a bit of chit-chat. Obviously, he knows you. He's like having a bit of banter as you, you head across. He says, oh, to, to be fair, you're, uh, you, you're lucky you caught me, Father. I, after all, I'm I'm not sure how much longer I'm going to be able to to keep up the old uh, the old boating. I'm afraid. And he carries on sort of pulling the boat. Across. I um, uh, it, it takes a second for uh, Aurelia to do the math. Like, medical troubles. He says, "Well, um, it's not me. It's um, it's it's my my daughter, Cara. You, you remember Cara? She, uh, yes, I'm afraid." Uh, last winter she she caught a, a severe chill and well medical bills being what they are and well I now her mother's no longer with us and with us with uh, me barely making enough money to to feed us I mean I and I, I can't afford to pay someone to to take care of her I mean the, any sort of he, he looks for saying he's just holding up some like in one hand these like cruddy like tickets you've given him mm -hmm. he's like a Your subway yeah like he, 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 like, <laughs> he, holds he looks for a moment it's almost touching he looks like incredibly grateful for saying he's holding up these like, just subway vouchers and he's like yeah. uh, although yeah. these will help it's been uh, I, I've been I, I've been trying to, uh, to to make sure that she doesn't go hungry even even if it means I, I I don't eat myself but as I say it's getting harder and harder to 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 make a, a crust these days, uh, especially when I have to pay for the uh, the medication for for, for Cara. But uh, the, the, these will help. Uh, thank you, Father. Bless you. And he like again, he like took some away and he carries on. He always seems like lost in his sort of like thoughts as he mm -hmm. silently pulls the. I, I think Giedeca. un unless he speaks up again, I think the rest of the the journey until we uh, reach Giedeca is going to be just silence and the lapping of, of water. Indeed, and, and that's um, how most of the journey passes. The The next yeah. time he speaks is just as you're sort of getting to the shore of Geodeca, and now it appears to be a, in modern nights, it's a quiet residential area, largely look to be sort of like working class housing, a few sort of slightly newer, slightly more sort of like chic for one of that term, apartments, uh, it looks as though once upon a time again it probably had like the fishing industry here there's lots of long docks that sort of jut out over the water and in fact you you pole into one of those and that's when your your boatman begins to speak again and he's sort of like almost so he's half talking to himself he sort of he looks around and he says he says yes this is this this is well but back in my father's days of course all of this used to be shipyards and factories he says as he's sort of like helping you out of the boat he says mm -hmm. hey, my, 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 my father used to say oh, God rest him he, he used to say that uh, they even I think back uh, just before the just before the, the Second World War they, they even used to have a film studio in a in Geodeca but well it's all yeah. it's all fancy houses and uh, luxury apartments and such like now Yes, I suppose. Well, I suppose. Anyway, I'm sorry, Father. I'm, a, I'm keeping you from your business, and I, I need to get back to to Carl. Uh, Alfonso, where can I find you tomorrow evening? 
he says, well, I'll, I expect I'll, I'll be at home. You know where that is. Uh, mm. I'll, uh, I'll, I, I don't really get out much now, obviously. Um, but uh, yes, I'll, I'll probably be there. You, if, if you would permit, uh, I would very much like to visit you and your daughter. I presume she resides with you. Oh, of course. Um, I I would like to. Um, well, I, I presume your daughter has not had a chance to uh, uh, go to mass. To, uh, no, she's she's take been to communion. Hmm. I would, uh, if if you would permit me, I would like to bring communion to her, and uh, perhaps he, he, he looks uh, absolutely thrilled at that prospect. He's like. Uh, you're too kind, Father. We, we'd we'd be honoured to to have you in our humble home. Uh, I mean, granted, uh, the uh, as you know, we we live in one of the poorer parts of San Paolo, but uh, and and we have little to offer in the way of hospitality. But what we what we do have, we will we, freely share with you, with you, Father. Uh, it, 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 it is. We'd be honored. It is. No, no trouble. No trouble. After all, we we do know that. Uh, it, it is not riches that makes a man rich in this life. Uh, I shall. Uh, uh, I shall meet you tomorrow night then. Oh, again, uh, bless you, Father. Bless you. And he, he, he nods and he sort of like, he, he clasps your hand in almost like mm -hmm. a, a pity manner, and he sort of like kisses your hand, and then he says, he says again, I bless you, Father. And he he gets back in his boat, and with like a final wave. You know, like the the general mm -hmm. switch as it like pulls back towards the mainland of Venice, for want of a better term. Yeah, and I go on to uh, locate the church. Indeed, not a problem. So you start making your way through the district of Giardecca, as I've described it, and you eventually make your way to the, what officially is known as the Chiesa del Santimoso Redento, but most people just call it Il Redento. It's a, a 16th century Roman Catholic church. It's, as you know from your research in, from the architect, it's been sort of built in like a Greco-Roman style. There's a lot of Doric columns and sort of a fluted sort of roofs and stuff like that. It has a, a large dome set at the back of it. And as I say, it was built as something of a of a votive church, you know, as a as both a reminder to honour the people who died in the the plague and also as thanks that God had basically delivered them from the plague and Venice had survived. As you head towards it, there's like a little plaque outside that tells you that the the church was built by well, those little like um, sort of heritage plaques where it sort of tells you that it was built by the the architect, like directly supervised and overseen by the architect Andrea Palladio, as commissioned by the Senate of the Republic of Venice. As you head towards it, you vaguely recall again another little nugget of information you found in your research that in the original plans, the Senate wanted the church to be like very sort of plain and like square. 
but Palladio sort of adapted the plan so it ended up with a single nave church with like three chapels on either side of it and this big dome. You also see on the heritage plaque that the cornerstone of the building was laid by the, the then Patriarch of Venice, Giovanni Trevisano, in 1577. It was consecrated in 1592. It's built out of white, has like a white stone facade. And as you head onto the inside, it's large, but it's a fairly simply laid out building. It's this large square sort of central church. Then it has this nave at the back and these three smaller chapels sort of off to either side. As you head in, it becomes obvious, and there's tourists about, etc., as you would expect. As you head in, it becomes obvious that there's not like 50,000 odd people buried in this church, but you do start seeing sort of small statues and like memorials to the people who died. And as you head further in, there is another plaque which says that originally some of the people who died, like when it, when they first built it, that some of the bodies were housed here, but they were, they'd been long ago sort of repatriated onto the, onto San Michel, where most people are buried. There's like a special section of the graveyard yeah. there for, for the plague victims. But they kept the memorials like here just as a, as a way of like honouring the people, even if they couldn't keep all the bodies here. Yeah. And as I browse this um, memorial, I will uh, close my eyes. Okay. And upon opening them, uh, there's a, it's almost like a smudgy mirror uh, now, um, Aurelio's eyes that sort of reflect everything around him and um aurelio is calling upon the power in the blood to look for any possible fetters that might exist here okay. in the uh, specifically looking at the um um well the memorial bit but of course uh, you're <laughs> everything stands out so if if there's stuff elsewhere yeah, maybe he'll notice that, but he's interested specifically in the uh, memorial bit. Of course, yeah. So I know this is a reflexive thing. It doesn't cost you anything, effectively. Mm -hmm. um, you look around as you attune your your vision to the emanations of the dead and departed. And as you do, for a moment, the it, it almost sort of causes you to stagger and like fall to the ground. As literally, like <laughs> all of these like memorials are just like fell like, radiating like spiritual yeah. energy. It, it's 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 a bit like me as someone who suffers from epilepsy, like sticking their face against mm -hmm. like a strobe light and then going, "Oh, yeah, wonder, strobe light. I wonder what happens." Click, and then be like, "Oh!" And literally, as you turn it on, and all this energy sort of like, leaps into vibrancy that you can see it literally causes you to like stagger a couple of paces and you quickly recover yourself uh, a, a couple of sort of tourists come over and they're like oh oh you're right do, do you speak english uh i reply in um uh italian it's like no <laughs> okay no so... I, no i do not 
say, say you don't speak English, so they they come over to you and they're obviously concerned. You can tell from their tone, yeah. But you you have no idea what they're saying. They they sort of come over to you and they're sort of, they're trying to sort of <laughs> help you and they look concerned and you can tell from the tone they're concerned, but you don't know what they're saying you reply in italian they obviously don't know what you're saying mm-hmm. as is as is the english way they sort of repeat what they said originally like in a louder voice louder slower. yeah yeah <laughs> which doesn't make unsurprisingly makes no difference to your comprehension or lack of comprehension yep. of them yeah um event, I, uh, eventually those sort of see yeah you hold your hand up and sort of seeing that yeah. like you don't appear to be about to drop down dead or anything like that they say a few more things which don't mean anything to you but sound a bit calmer and then eventually they sort of drift away once they've satisfied themselves that you're mm-hmm. you're not going to drop dead. Um, what is the memorial, uh, like material-wise, what are we looking at? Are there any uh, pieces of it? Aurelia is looking to take a fetter with him okay Um, anything to grab to break off quickly um okay there's anything like that there's a number of different memorials and they all by and large seem to take the the form of sort of fairly small i mean that sort of size but they're like Mm -hmm. they're statues of like human figures Mm -hmm. and obviously there's not fifty thousand of them but it seems as you look around that each of these sort of small carved figures is an individual and they're obviously Mm -hmm. representative of like the jobs that people did and like what people used to wear in the day so it's like they've tried to like symbolically capture like the essence of the people who've died Mm -hmm. and then as you sort of follow they line both the walls at the back of the church as you follow these statues through the final sort of larger statue which is like human sized is an what appears to be the picture of a biblical angel, wings mm-hmm. out the back of it, halo the lot, sort of holding its arms out as though like to embrace these these small like crowd of people who are like filing towards it effectively. And like I say, literally like spiritual essence is like radiating mm-hmm. from like, all of these statues. Like it's like it's like feta central in here. Are any of the statues small enough that I could slip one uh, under my clothes to uh, there are transport the, it away? The, and, and this is a bit of a flippant remark, but like, you think like a garden gnome, they're that yep. sort of size. So I, I would say if you can make if you can make like a, a stealth roll or something like a subterfuge roll, mm. yeah, you could probably get out. I mean, it'd be. It'd be a little bit unwieldy because, like I say, they're not exactly mm-hmm. tiny. But you, you could potentially do it, but but you would need a roll for it because obviously yeah, a, a lot yeah. of people are sort because of, there's tourists in and out all day as well. Obviously the yep. the people who sort of maintain the church and like the priest, they're obviously on the lookout for like tourists trying to rob stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right, so. Yeah, I'll I'll give it a go. I won't. Um, so what I'll try to do is get it sort of in like under the arm a little bit, yep. uh, not like under the cassock, because I uh, my second like my fall fallback plan is um, that a a 
priest here is going to catch me in the act, and then I will try and lie to him. Um, so I need to be able to show, like, oh, yeah, it's here. Not like, oh, I, I put it in my backpack. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, so we'll we'll do... Um, so trying to stealthily steal one of these. Yep. What are we looking at role-wise? I, I would say... I would say either subterfuge or stealth probably apply here. I would say you could mm. probably then either use wits or dexterity, depending on whether you're trying mm. to use more misdirection or whether you're just trying to grab it quickly and not hustle your way out. I think misdirection is the, the thing here. And I guess, like, subterfuge would be the thing that I try if I get caught, I guess. So maybe wits and stealth? Yeah, that's absolutely fine. Okay. Uh, stealth and then wits. Hmm. Um. So, let's try and actually do uh, a thing here. So, I would like to a uh, uh, call upon the plot once more, John. I would okay. like to. Uh, and if and if you wouldn't mind for for the benefit of yeah Darren and Dave and anyone who's watching, would you like to explain how that works? Yeah, I'll actually call it up now in the book here. So um, there's a thing you can do as a vampire that is called Blood Surge. And um, that means you do your uh, rouse, uh, as is the case with a lot of these vampiric abilities that you pay for. Um, you do your rouse roll, and then you can... Uh, da -da -da -da. You can add one to uh, add one attribute die to a dice pool. Um, this is for all of us because I think we all are on blood potency one, I believe. So uh, that gets better if your blood is more potent. We we're, we don't have more potent blood, so um, we get an extra. You can put on an extra die. So in my case here, what I would do is I do this and become more hungry, which is uh, wonderful. Um, <laughs> so I make my uh, rouse roll. I fail that, I gain an extra hunger, but now I can count my wits as one higher than it was before. So I get an extra die on my, my thing that I'm trying to do here. Yeah, and that's an innate ability that all vampires yeah, have. Yeah, every vampire can do, do that. Um, okay, so stealth. Um, Wits and I'm going to try. I'm, I'll put one for modifier. I think that's probably how it works. Yeah, it Let's is. See. Yeah. Oh. Okay. There we go. Okay. Yep. So three successes. You've got a a little statue. You took it under your coat. You hustle out with it. No one's spotted you. You've made your way out the door of the church. When, as you're heading out, you see a a man dressed in the, the manner of a priest, rather similar to yourself, although a, a good deal less pale, and you recognize one of the members of the Artisti del Destino coterie. Mm. And he's just mm -hmm. stood there looking up at the church and as you sort of walk past, he says almost to himself, he's like, magnificent, isn't it? Such is the glory of God. 
very true very true and such a place of life but also death it's ironic really but also strangely there's nothing, appropriate there's nothing ironic about any of this it is the one and the same there is only one thing and it is existence he, he smiles and nods and says but uh, as you say all things all things change my my brethren should know that more than anybody but please don't don't let me keep you father do you have a particular uh do you experience a particular draw to the lord's words or do you uh are you more of a uh, architect i'm uh my myself and my my brethren we have a, a long interest in in religion particularly Catholicism but the there seems to be a something unique about the 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 num both the number of churches and the the coexistence of the, the ancient history and the, the modern life of Venice within the city that I, I find quite appealing it is after all only by the hand of man that any of this stands here that is true well then may God be with you and with you exit stage left not a problem okay at which point we're going to jump back to the hotel where we have franco and our slightly uh, worrying sonia you you know where room 55 is you know this guy's in there you've heard the typing of well you assume it's him you've heard the typing of keys behind the door what's the it's getting on a little bit now what's the plan um, well, unless uh, Sonia's got a, a better plan, I was thinking the classic fire alarm situation. Get him out of his room. Nice. All, all he... my plans as a mobster are usually knock on the door, knock about. I don't, I don't think you want to use that route, Franco. So uh... yeah, and I think Franco, you've probably known Sonia for long enough now that like it's pretty obvious that she's from one of the like old school sort of like mafioso like style families just due to oh. like how she like tends to respond to like stuff and situations that she's she's obviously not had what many would consider to be a normal upbringing well i mean if <clears throat> if, if you that's your way of doing it you want to take charge then um this guy as you said Maybe guilty of nothing other than stealing a sticker off a wall. 
So I just need to get this straight. I want him unconscious, but not harmed. I, yeah, I just want to find out what he's got in that notebook, what, what he's up to, what this QR code is that's of such value. Um, have I got a mobile phone? Yeah, so you've got a money to a mobile phone. Yeah, so I could, you know, see what this QR code is if if we uh, get access to it. Okay. You just stand over there then. Okay, I shall stand over the other side of the corridor <laughs> from the door. Okay. I, I shall knock gently on the door, John. Okay, you knock gently on the door and a, a few moments later you hear this sort of slightly irritated sounding voice say, Who's there? <clears throat> I saw you take a picture off a wall. At which point, like, the door opens a crack. You can see it's like got one of those like little chain like latches and you see this slightly pudgy but a little exhausted looking guy. He's got like the, the specs on like the top of his head he looks out through the door and he goes who sent you and he, it's just like peeking out through the crack I shall lever the door John yeah and we're just going to do this as like a one roll deal because it's not like a massive combat yeah um, I presume you're pointing you want to force the door and knock him out yeah that's it okay yeah so it's a a strength brawl roll you're not going to need that many successes because he's just a pudgy like, guy. So strength. Uh, brawl. Yep, two successes. So you exerting just the, the merest whisper of your vampiric strength you push the door in you hear the like the chain like ping off the latch as this guy sort of like starts staggering backwards you have a brief moment to to take in there seems to be like four or five like laptops in here and there's like reams of printer paper and notebooks and stuff like that on like a table and then you presumably like beam this guy around the head and like knock him out I'm just going to jaw him, yeah. Yep, you, you smack him in the jaw. He's obviously not used to this sort of stuff. And he he barely utters a sound as he just like slides to the floor. Just like his head goes, like, snaps to one side and he just goes down. That's fine. I'll tie him up and uh, stick a, a towel in his mouth. Yeah, absolutely fine. So obviously then, uh, he's not looking through the doorway... Uh, yeah, Frank. Pop my head round. Come in. Going on. <laughs> yeah, I shall uh, step into the room and shut the door behind me. Yeah, no problem. Look up and down the corridor. You don't seem... start looking for cameras. Um, roll me a d10, Dave. You see there's like one camera in the corridor. Looks to be like quite an old make. Um, you're pretty sure it only covers the corridor. Now, since you yep. pushed the door in and then went into the room, 
at most mm. it's going to have you pushing the door and then stepping inside. Yeah. Do you, th do you think you're good? Yeah. Um, yes, let's start searching the room. See if we can find this note notepad he had or okay you like i said there's there's a number of notepads and there's about four or five laptops they like the screens are locked on all of them are like passwords on them there's also like an old style like dot matrix style like printer like a portable one and there's a ream of paper next to it the paper appears to be just full of like lines and lines and lines of like letters and numbers Seemingly, like, just in a random pattern. Hmm. Like, there's a few notebooks. You you lift them up, you flick through them, and as you're doing that, most of it's a little bit bewildering. Um, it looks as though, due to all that, the scribblings and the crossings out, like this guy was trying to like decode something, or like hmm. decipher something, and he's obviously been using these computers to do it and while the computers have been like running their thing he's been like scribbling down like a few ideas and eventually as you continue looking through all these like little notebooks that he's got you do find the one that he he took out of his coat earlier and it has the qr code in it okay um yeah i'll, I'll scan it with my phone okay yep you scan it with your phone and as the this application you've got on your phone decodes it you see a a picture of what looks to be a a butterfly but the the butterfly shape itself is made up out of seemingly like random numbers and letters similar to all these scribblings in his book or printouts yeah is it quite a short like section of numbers and like it'd be a you know, couple of sentences if you sort of managed to turn them into letters. Yeah, there's there's probably there's probably about fifty numbers and letters in all in this like little drawing. Okay, so it's yeah. Hmm. Um, can't get onto the laptops at the moment. The 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 screens are locked in a lot. The sort of enter password screen on it. Obviously, you you could try and make a technology roll to see if you could like brute force your way in, but with one dot in technology, even if you succeed, it'll probably take you like a fair old amount of time because you'll literally just be having to like try password after password to try and get in. Yeah, I mean it's probably better to take him away if we we're going to try that. Uh, let's see if we see if I can make some contact with someone that might be able to hack into it in some way um, yeah flicking through the notebooks anything else or just more of these random sort of lettering does it look like at any point is like where he's deciphered any of the words anything legible okay most of most of the sort of more recent stuff is as I've described however you can see that he's obviously like filling up the notebooks from the front so you you start working mm. your way back through them so in what and handily he's basically like numbered them so it's like oh notebook one notebook two so you're like working yep. your way back to his earlier stuff and when you get to his earlier notebook you see that in there 
is basically a piece of writing where he says, "Oh, I've I've managed to crack the the, the latest puzzle." It it says that it's in Venice, but and then there's like a GPS coordinate, and that I that I should look for the next puzzle there, and you have a quick check on your phone of like the GPS coordinate, and it is the building where you found him. Right. But there's no sort of indication of this is like some treasure hunt for money or no. In, in fact, it no. seems to, it seems almost that perhaps he was worried about people finding his notebooks. He seems to have like deliberately omitted anything that would would tell anyone what they're looking at. I mean, it takes you a fair while even with the notebooks to like work out that like oh yeah, the, he's saying here that like something's led him to this this building where I found him so he seems to have like deliberately been obtuse with his notes and he has he got a passport or something that sort of shows where he's come from or okay you you search you search through you don't find a you don't find a passport however you do find an identity card he is uh, an Italian national called Carlino Tatino you see like he's got like a little picture of him on his like on his ID card and he's wearing like a smart suit and a tie. You know, it's a like, standard like, office wear, he's got his hair like slicked across. And it's not like a a company badge or something. Like no, no it's just basically like a, a sort of national like, identity card. ID thing, okay. Hmm. It hasn't hasn't given us all the information we're looking for, obviously. Um. And as you're thinking that, you hear like a, a sort of dull like. Uh. I'm looking at that again. Yeah, you yeah you hear him like. Uh, and then he goes quiet again. I'm also going to take his glasses off, and put a pillow a case over his head. Absolutely fine. Um, I'm gonna. I think I'll collect up these laptops and, and the notebooks. I'm gonna ask at this point, Johannes, can you roll me a, a single D10? Um, this is basically just to see whether anyone comes by anything but a one or a two. Yep, absolutely grand. So yep, no one stopped by. No room service. No nothing like that. Uh, yeah. So collect up the laptops. Yep, not a problem. And the uh, notebooks. Put them in a pillowcase. Yeah, put them in whatever. Well, he's got. Is it? Did he have a rucksack? Yeah, so, he did. He had a satchel. Yeah, put as much as I can in there. Okay. Um, I mean, since you've gone to the effort of knocking him out, I mean, it'd be rude not to uh, have a little uh, drink while we're here. Oh, hurry up. As uh, some of us are still thirsty. So I'll just go for the, the real quick one dot. Yeah, not a problem. That takes a few turns and it knocks off one of your your hunger dots. You just take a little a little nip from him. He's already knocked out, he doesn't even stir. And obviously you, I shall... you lick the wound, it closes up. I shall ensure that he's knocked out 
Remove the bonds. He is knocked out. Yeah, yeah, no problem. You untie him. Uh, leave the pillowcase on his head. Okay. Uh, and I'm going to scroll in the messiest writing I possibly can on a piece of paper we're watching. And that should scare him off. Okay. <laughs> um, just before we go, I just I just wonder if he's got anything else hidden. Have, um, have I been able to just check through his clothing? Like, for any other sort of notebooks, writings, anything? Yeah, um, make, me a, make me a wits investigation always... roll. Or his wallet, or anything, some sort of way of working out his passcode. Uh, Wits investigation. Let's go for. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a bad miss. Okay. So. And we'll go on to how best your failures work now. So, a failed roll, not enough successes to reach the difficulty or beat an opposing roll, in which one or more hunger dice, how many... No, well, it's not going to actually be a best your failure because you've got five successes. So, mm -hmm. basically, if five successes wasn't enough, this would be a best your failure, hence the possible. But five successes is more than enough because you've got plenty of time, there's no threats, so it's not a bestial failure. So you don't have to worry about that. You okay. you ser you start searching this this guy. At first, you don't find anything. Then, as you're as you're sort of rifling through this like thick sort of like duffel coat, like winter coat he's wearing, you suddenly feel like there's a a small sort of rectangular object that appears to be like inside the lining of the coat. Hmm. Yeah, I should try and work that out then. How to get it out or rip it out if necessary. Okay, yeah, you look round and it looks as though what he's done is on one of like he's done it quite well, like you, you barely notice it, but on one of the seams of the lining, he's basically carefully like cut down the seam, slid something in, and then he's stitched it back up again. He's done quite a good job of it. Hmm. Okay. Let's see if I can uh, take that out. Have a very quick look before pocketing it. Okay. Just you you take it out and it appears to be a, a sm again, another small notebook. And inside, in a slightly rambling fashion, he has recorded the fact that he's recently, he appears to be a member of some sort of like online group of like techie people, basically. Um, all of the people he references seem to be like online pseudonyms. There's no like, actual name on there. And as you sort of read through all these notes, it seems that he's part of a group of people who came across a a fiendish puzzle that had been placed online by an organisation, an agency, an individual, they're not sure, called LEP5000. And this... It was a fiendishly difficult puzzle, and this lap five thousand, whoever they, he, it, she, is, said they were looking for uniquely intelligent individuals who were capable of solving this puzzle. And it seems from this like lots of different people online are trying to solve it, and this guy's like part of like a group of people who've all pulled their resources to try and solve this puzzle. And you see that it appears they appear to have solved a series of one, and each puzzle they solve leads to like the next puzzle 
and the most recent one they solved led to them finding the GPS coordinates to the building near your communal haven which led him to the QR code which he obviously was like oh I'll scrape this off I'll take it with me I'll decode it later obviously he scanned it he saw the the picture of the butterfly made of letters and uh, numbers like yourself and he's he's basically been online on his laptops trying to decode it with these other people doesn't mention if there's some sort of prize or what the end no. result is of... it, it just seems as because there's like a there's like a copy of like the original sort of poster he's like scroll down the original post said and it just claimed to be this from this agency lap 5000 and it basically said oh, we're looking for uniquely intelligent individuals of the highest caliber who are capable of solving these puzzles and they, they posted it anonymously online and a number of people have been trying to like solve these incredibly like baroque and difficult puzzles. Okay. Uh, well, um, obviously, as, as you sort of turn around, you see, you see that uh, Sonya's just finished scrawling her like "We're watching you." Notice. Mm -hmm. Um. I mean, I've. I've checked all the obvious places. I mean, I've looked under the bed in case he's put something under there or, you know, under pillows and stuff. Just, I just have a last sort of rams, ramshack of the, the room sort of thing, yeah, turning things over and just checking for stuff in case okay. he's tried to hide something. You, you search around and under one of the pillows, you find what appears to be a, a book. It appears to be a basically an Italian language version of the book Moby Dick hmm. okay. take that as well and you see that um, it's obviously been read like a number of times you know it's like well thumbed yeah okay yep take that as well um, so if I'm now satisfied that I've sort of checked out as much as I can of this yeah. room and then, uh, yeah, I suggest we leave. I shall warn him about the camera in the hallway. Try to keep your head down and. Yeah, I know. Is, is it facing towards the stairs it's we're going down? Or? Down the hallway, so you will come across it. So you can okay. Yeah, well, I'll do my best to uh, shield my features from such a camera. Yep, not a problem. As, as we leave. So you leave your Get sort of vaguely threatening note, Sonia. You, yep. you leave this guy like knocked out but untied with pillowcase over his head. You've taken yep. all of his laptops, notebooks, stuff like that, the book, etc. And you guys start making your way out. Now, I am going to ask one of you guys, you don't both have to make the roll. I'm going to ask one of you to make me a either a dex stealth or a wit subterfuge role and this is obviously just because you're basically carrying like pillowcases full of like laptops and you're just trying to which <laughs> which isn't a common sight to see like strolling through the halls of the hotel and out the door to be perfectly honest and unless you get a kind of absolute failure you'll manage to get out because there's a lot of 
lot of um, tourists coming and going. There's a lot oh, of people. Branko's the one with all the laptops, so uh, he can make the roll. Okay, well, I'll uh, use my silence of death once again. Just just because that's what he does whenever he's trying to be stealthy. So, stealth decks. Uh, okay. Yep, absolutely fine. It, it takes you a little while because obviously you're trying to avoid bringing attention to yourselves, but you make it out the front of the, the hotel with your ill-gotten gains. Head back to uh, headquarters if we okay. anything else. So you guys um. start making your way back to the communal haven in Castello. Now... Aurelio, is there anything else you want to do before returning to the Haven, or...? So, the only cemetery is in San Michel. Yeah. Um, obviously, due to... Originally, they did used to bury people on the mainland, so to speak. But due to the lack of land and like, public health concerns, eventually they relocated. It's like all burials now take place on San Michel. Uh, well, I, what's the, what's the time when I'm leaving Judeca? We're probably on about half 11 now. Yeah, plenty of time. Um, I would be heading back to my own place. Okay, that's absolutely uh, fine. And, uh. So, just referring to it here. Um, yeah, I've got a one... Did I put in the... Uh, no, I didn't write the details in there, but uh, my idea was uh, that uh, with a one-dot haven, it's going to be, like, quite literally just a shop for, um, like, a mortician's business. Okay. Basically, a small workshop for a mortician uh, with enough room in there for me to have my uh, own sort of daytime cubbyhole in there. Yeah, that's absolutely fun. And um, yeah, I'll I'll head there in order to uh, enact a couple of ceremonies. Okay. Uh, right, so, of course, this is something that uh, we should probably talk about here, John. So, um, my ceremonies are affected by how strong the shroud is where I'm doing the thing. And um, I have a chart for it. Uh, and the one thing that we would like to, we would need to determine now is how strong is the shroud in my haven area, like the the mortician shop? So the categories are, um, yeah, I'm looking at them. Thick, yeah. So on my sheet as well here, yeah. I'm not sure where you are, but I put them there as well. Um, so we've got thick, thin, frayed, absent, and they come with like a specific uh, effect each. 
And there's a like a possible cause for the state of the shroud that is listed in the the chart there as well. Obviously, okay. I can if I can induce changes to this by a, yep. a deliberate murder for one. But yeah. Um, so, how often would you say how have like deaths occurred in your haven? Uh, probably not at all. Uh, okay. On the flip side of it, I think this is my like I I really need to like do this thing. Uh, I.e. ceremony behind closed doors so that I know no one's going to turn up. Okay. Um, so no deaths, but I've probably done ceremonies here once or twice. Uh, okay, so since it's only once or twice, I'll probably say that the the, the shroud is probably like fairly thick here at the moment. Mm -hmm. Right. All right, so we'll go in and... Um, oh, I've got the fetter which I will place on basically the slab that is the, the working space for my, my mortician stuff. And I lay out the paraphernalia. So out come the... Uh, and Franco, I think, because Franco is kind of bought into uh, <laughs> a lot of the, uh, let's say, aesthetic things about vampirism. Um, there's probably things here that Franco would get a kick out of. So out come the black candles. Uh, there's the um, uh, a copper bowl. There's uh, fresh herbs. There's a uh, silver dagger. All the accoutrement of the black arts of necromancy. Okay. And... Um, I enact the ritual summon spirit uh, using the fetter that I stole from the church as the ingredient for it. Um, okay. So, and yeah. So it's I, uh, one of the targeted wraiths, fetters, a photo or the visual depiction of the wraith or their sign name. Yeah, you've got the fetter. Yeah, fine. So. Uh, along the course of I believe it's an hour so the, the whole thing takes an hour and at one point um, Aurelio cuts uh, a hand and bleeds into the copper bowl uh, we'll make a roll here uh, I'm not sure what all this does but I'm going to click it now <laughs> oh there we go okay so the rouse is successful. Yep. And uh, that's good. Okay, speed reading all of this. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I bleed on the memorial statue as well. I pour it from the uh, the copper bowl onto it. Um, but why didn't it do the thing here? Because I thought I set it up as being able to roll. Oh, that's because it's here. Okay, yeah, yeah, it's in a different place because there's the rouse roll, which was that, and then this is my... Oh, no, not, not strength, not strength. 
too quick. Um, so Oblivion. I was going to say, Oblivion resolved. plus strength, you're going to like the Arnold Schwarzenegger school of like necromancy. Wraith, get in here now, I've got your feta. I tell me ghost. I, I pour my vita on your feta. Get to my ritual circle. Hear my call. Yeah. <laughs> um, right, so it's actually resolved, so this should now, it's, it's going to pick hopefully Oblivion and Wits now. Uh, resolve, sorry. There we go. Okay. Yep. Um, and then, uh, let's see. Anything here. Um, all right. So, um, my interpretation of that is it is successful. I've got several successes going on there. Yeah. And what that means is I, I conjure, I call up. Um, this wraith, which is entirely up to you, John, how long it takes for it to manifest. And I have no way of influencing that at all. So that is entirely like, is that guy busy? Because if, if he's like a wraith, like taxi driver, and he's on the other side of the underworld here, like it, my spell doesn't make him turn up. I just, he's going to have to come now, but it will take normal time for him to travel because he okay. needs to. He lives his ghost life. So, so yeah, so you, you enact the ceremony. You know from practice that it that it has worked. The call has gone out. Mm -hmm. Obviously, like they don't just like, they don't just like ping into existence. But mm -hmm. how long do you wait to see whether the the spirit turns up this night? I'll I'll wait the rest of the night. Okay. Okay, so an hour later, appropriate of just as we're getting to to midnight, you notice that the the temperature in your small personal haven drops by several degrees, and the in the the light like coming through the window, the the shadows that dance upon the walls seem to deepen slightly as the the essence of oblivion suffuses itself into the more mundane darkness that once dwelled there and it the the shadows seem to become almost more solid although they are still shadows and after a few moments you hear a, a sort of whispered voice that seems to be almost struggling to make itself heard that seems to emanate from the shadows on the wall that says who calls us who calls um, I have a bunch of stuff to attend to with this guy so if we're sort of aiming to cut somewhere around here uh, maybe we'll, we'll deal with the whole because I have a whole different ceremony to do as well so, as a follow-up i think what we'll do is we'll have the we have the the other group returns to the communal haven with their ill-gotten gains that they've gathered like i say it's getting pretty late so you all retire for the evening and we finish up 
well, you've, you've gathered back at your communal haven. Obviously, you've got time to discuss it. And what we'll do next session is we'll, we'll sort of finish off the end of this evening. So what you guys want to do uh, with your with all these laptops, you've got uh, Sonia and Franco. And how, what you want to do, any more roles you want to make with that. And we'll also round off what uh, Aurelio is doing with this this spectral presence he's he's managed to conjure from the the shadowlands so we will wrap there for this evening guys thank you very much for playing hope you all had fun i very much enjoyed running it for you uh, obviously yeah. we'll we'll work out xp and whatnot but i'm going to end the the stream now so it just remains me to say uh thanks to my wonderful players and for anyone who's watching this thanks to Rob Benford for jumping in the, the chat earlier on. Very much appreciated. And hopefully we'll catch you all for the next one in a couple of weeks. Take it easy.